Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to movies. And in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is March, and uh, as we tend to do on the show, uh, we're having a special event month, a little something we're calling Moving on March. And essentially what this uh, special event on the show is, is uh, we're taking a deep dive on uh, the filmographies of some recently deceased actors. Um, Basically, we're picking an actor or a director or just someone involved in the film industry every week and taking a look at uh, one of the major films from their filmography, uh, someone who's recently passed away, so like in the past like five, ten years or whatever. Uh, so this week, Kyle had the pick, and uh, Kyle, this is an interesting case because normally we're, we're like spotlighting one actor or director, but in this case we have a couple of folks that have recently uh, passed away since the release of this film. So what, what did you pick for this week, Kyle? Well, this was originally supposed to be a Philip Seymour Hoffman film, Uh we went. I went with uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead from 2007. Uh, I wanted you to see this. I think I told you about this a long time ago before we ever started doing the podcast. I just happened to catch it one day. And I'm like, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke. I'm like, that sounds like kind of like a fun movie. And I read the description. I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. And I was, I was pretty impressed with it because, uh, I mean, I didn't know who Cindy Lumet was. I think this is the only Cindy Lumet film I've ever seen because I've never seen Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, mm. Yeah, I know. Shame on me. Uh, and, <laughs> I mean, he's also, he passed away in 2011. Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away in 2014. But this also has Albert Finney, who passed away last year. Um, so pretty much covering all the bases here with uh, everybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wanted Trevor to see this because this was one of my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performances. Um, you and I are, are pretty big fans of his. I'd say I'm a little bit bigger, but uh, you, you, you have an appreciation for the man. And he... He does so well at playing shitbag characters, just like shitty, shitty dudes. And I think this might be his best shitty dude role. What did you think? <laughs> um, I I think you're right, Kyle. Um, like you said, I'm not as well-versed in his filmography as you are. Um, I do have a very strong appreciation for the man. And yeah, uh, of what I've seen in his filmography, um, yeah, I think this is the biggest shit heel I've seen him play. Um, I know uh, you're a punch truck love <laughs> fan too. I am. Um, that that's not so much as a shit heel as just like a sleaze bag loser. Yeah, that's um, which he also Dragon. does really well. <laughs> he also does that very well. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah. and like uh, what Patch Adams, he's just kind of like a uptight dick. Mm-hmm, like yeah, he plays a dickwad really well. In this though, he's like he gets pretty aggro at times. Um, he's very much a bully. Mm-hmm. He's just an overall very troubled man that, that lashes out at people and is very, very, very petty at times. Um, but, God, he is so fun to watch doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, and I think this is good Ethan Hawke. And I, I like Ethan Hawke in this kind of role, too. Um, I didn't like him in Lord of War. That was kind of where he bugged me because he was like a Boy Scout, basically, in that movie. And he was just a, a goody two-shoes. Um, yeah, and I like this because he's kind of a... Kind of a bitch. Like, he's just kind of a, a, a wimp in this movie. Yeah. You know, like, just, like, running running back some of the movies of his that I've seen in my head. Like, I haven't, again, just like Philip Seymour Hoffman, I haven't seen that many of Ethan Hawke's films. But in upon review, like, in my head, it's like, huh, he... 
he really plays like troubled people mm-hmm. well. Like he 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 has the look of a man who um, I think I mentioned this about Guy Pierce not too long ago that Guy Pierce is a really useful tool to any director because he has the look of a traditional leading man, but he's actually kind of batshit crazy mm-hmm. and seems to get off on doing that. And Ethan Hawke kind of has the same toolkit where it's like he looks like he could lead he could just be a handsome guy. Yeah. Like he could coast on just being a handsome guy. But he's pretty good at playing like weaselly, like just kind of banged up people. Mm-hmm. Like downtrodden people that have been like kicked around a lot. Like he has like a hangdog quality to him. Like, um, what was it? Was it Insidious or Sinister was was him? Sinister. Sinister. Like that character is kind of a dirtbag. Yeah. Kind of he's kind of a loser, he's kind of a dirtbag. Um even uh, the remake of the Magnificent Seven, um, he he brings a surprising amount of pathos to that role. Like it's it's a popcorn entertainment movie, but it just so happens to have some very talented actors in it, and it just so happens to be the same director as Training Day. Mm. So the two of them have a working relationship. But he oh, plays he like a really, I really, really broken guy. Like I really he plays a. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I really liked him at Training Day. Yeah, but think of his character in yeah. that. It's like he is he is kind of an uptight dick at times, but he's also just like going through the ringer throughout the movie. So he he seems to <laughs> I hate to say it, but he seems to portray like like suffering very well on screen. Yeah. <laughs> like like angst and suffering. And in this, like you said, he is but again, he does it really well and goddamn it, that haircut yeah. really aids his performance. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I'll give a rundown of the movie real quick. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Andy. Uh, he convinces his brother Ethan Hawke, Hank. Uh, I love the names in this movie. I don't know why. Uh, Andy, Hank, Charles, Gina, Dex. Um, <laughs> we have uh, yeah Ethan Hawke playing his brother Hank, and he can Andy convinces Hank to rob a jewelry store uh, because it's going to be a victimless crime. The people will get the money back from their uh, from the insurance company. And they will settle their financial troubles. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, They're going to rob their parents, their family's uh, jewelry store. And after they've already committed to it, after Ethan Hawke's already committed to it, they they go through with it, and problems happen, and this ends dark. <laughs> that I guess is yeah, it. yeah. Um, Marissa Tomei is in here, almost wearing clothes sometimes. Um, <laughs> And wouldn't you know it, Michael Shannon terrifying the piss out of somebody here. Oh man! Like when he showed up, like I I had actually forgotten that you told me he was in it, and yeah. so when he showed up, I was like, hey! Yes. <laughs> and holy shit, he makes the most of his screen time. Um, oh, he has yeah, he does. He has some body language moments in this that's like, ooh, that's practiced. I'm, I bet he was a dick in high school. <laughs> See, I think he was a nice guy. I just think he plays this really well. He's actually from Kentucky, and uh, I think he probably played a little baseball, um, but. Uh, I had to take the bat to the coach's knee one day because he talked back to my father in the stands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I could I could see him spitting sunflower seeds while intimidating people. <laughs> Just spitting them really close to you. <laughs> I could see him with a Randy Johnson mullet. <laughs> is the most, oh, him as a little league coach? Could you imagine that? Oh. 
That'd be fucking oh, terrifying. Fuck. That'd be terrifying and awesome. <laughs> I need that in my life. <laughs> but he would treat it like major pain. Like he just like would just show up and not say shit. And they're like trying to like punk him out. And then he just pulls out a gun and starts shooting it in the air. I'm like, whoa, you're not supposed to have a gun. This is Little League, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in there, you ain't happy. <laughs> <laughs> Any of your dads try to come up here, I'll kill your fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> See you Sunday. <laughs> See you Sunday. <laughs> yeah uh so anyway i the reason why i want you to watch this because i the way it's edited um this is uh, it's not even like a tarantino edit like this is completely different we we're given the main problem of the film up front we see what happens and then we see the perspective of andy hank and the husband charles the dad um and we 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 kind of cut before cut during and then then the movie kind of picks up after we're caught up on all the characters and move move through and you're right it does kind of speed up once we get there and i think it's because of all the editing um have you seen any other any other Sidney lumet films i have um i've seen dog day afternoon that was that was a dad movie that was something my dad made me watch when i was probably a little too young to appreciate it um i told you about network a long time ago Um, oh yes you did Yes, yeah, I that have, that I is have, very much worth your time. Um, I have that on my list. It's it's a terrific movie. Um, I have not seen Serpico, um, but that's, I've seen, that's oh, a I've dad seen, movie I should have seen. <laughs> I've seen Serpico. I actually have seen that. Okay, um, um, and I think that might be, I think that might be it for the most part. So he's not he's not like a known quantity to me, but I've seen he's a not couple our of the heavy hitters on his on his resume. Yeah, he's not. I was wondering if you've seen anything edited like this before. Is was this like like Tarantino has his editing style? I didn't know if this was like Cindy Lumet's editing style, where he gives you a uh, the problem of the movie and then like works backwards. Like here's what was leading up to that. Uh, no, not not of the movies I've seen. Um, but it's interesting how this is uh, this is presented in a non-linear format. Um, we do jump around in time a lot. Um, I really do like that uh, we we get replays of a lot of scenes when we we're changing perspectives. We get the tail end of conversations that we've seen previously, but in every instance, it's shot from a different angle. So it's up to you, the viewer, to, to keep up and recognize when you're getting redundant information. It, it, by by presenting it from different angles, it keeps it from getting repetitive and obnoxious. I actually really like the presentation style of this. It kind of reminded me of like a... I don't know, a really complex play or something. Yeah. I think this movie could have been an extra 20 minutes longer. I don't say that about movies too often. I, uh, I was actually getting ready to watch it. I'm like, this is going to be kind of long. It's going to be like two and a half hours. And I'm like, oh, it's actually it's just under two hours. I'm like, huh. And I think the way it wraps up, I think it needed to be a little bit longer. Um, well, it kind of has a it has a, a little bit of a Goodfellas wrap-up where mm-hmm. it ramps the fuck up towards the end. Um, yeah, but that ending... The, the ending is really good. Well, it's because we've been here for two and a half hours. I mean, God damn it. Let's move it. Let's move along, Martin. Come on. <laughs> well, and also the characters, you know, strung out on cocaine and stuff. So it works. It and he's work. trying to manage many, many, many things all at once, including a helicopter that <laughs> just will not leave him the fuck alone. And it actually probably it doesn't even care about him. He just sees it. <laughs> Say what you will. Any If Martin Scorsese is doing something with the Italian mafia, it's going to be great. And you're gonna want to rewatch it. That and Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> but yeah, you want to jump into this? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so to start things off, um, one of the first things I noticed in this movie was the score. Uh, it's by mm-hmm. Carter Burwell. And I just wanted to mention that up yeah. front because I was sharing with Kyle um, off air that uh, the score made itself very apparent very early in this movie. And I was telling Kyle that, uh, in my mind anyway, Carter Burwell is synonymous with the Coen brothers. Like he scores most of, if not all, of their movies. And a lot of the presentation style and a lot of the characterization in this movie actually reminded me of their of their style. Um, so if you're listening, I keep that in mind as we're talking about this movie. But um, yeah, the very first shot in this movie is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Andy uh, hitting it from the back. Dude. Um, yeah. yeah. I was telling him, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, you got to be ready for this movie because it's going to start off strong in the beginning. She's like, okay. And we were watching it. She's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's getting right after it. I'm like, yeah, this is a gratuitous, not gratuitous, but it is a perfectly, like, it's a perfectly angled sex scene where it's like, we can kind of see him, but we can see mostly her. Um, right off the bat, like, we'll just give you a heads up, like, um, Marissa Tomei's character is naked for, a, like, most of this movie, I'd say. Most of the time she's on screen, she's close to naked. Um, yeah. So... Steph was asking about that, and I was kind of wondering myself, too. She's like, why is she naked every time? Like, she's not wearing any clothes. And I remember something from Wolf of Wall Street, um, when Margot Robbie's character presents herself to Jordan for the first time. She's actually um, completely fully nude, full frontal. And uh, I think that Martin Scorsese wanted her just to wear clothes or, like, a bikini or lingerie or maybe just go topless. And I believe she insisted, like, no, this is her currency. This is all she has. So she's going to use it as best she can so she's like she would present herself like this and he's like all right i'm not gonna argue with you margo um yeah so i was wondering if that was kind of what the director was getting at here was he like having her nude because she she clearly doesn't want to work she's she's a trophy wife but she picked a a terrible guy to be the trophy wife too more or less it Mm. seems like um and maybe that's the that's all she has going for her uh i think you hit the nail on the head okay um I don't know that there's much more to to glean from that. Uh, like, basically what you're saying, like, it's her currency. Um, yeah. By the time we get to the very end of this movie, when she makes her exit from the film, um, it it's pretty much spelled out to you that this is a, a lost, desperate woman who her, I guess her, her physical value, like, not just, like, her physicality, but just her appearance and everything, like, is very very important and it's important for her to be seen as beautiful and and seen as valuable um but beyond that she just has no fucking clue yeah like she like she doesn't relate to her supposed husband on an emotional level at all not not for her lack of trying i would say i think that he's very she Uh, she, yeah there's there's a lot of attempts made on her part but she just doesn't have the tools in her kit to 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 present what he needs yeah, she's um, somebody who's like, I'm used to do just, like, they'll do whatever I, I say. Like, just, if I, I don't need to get anything out of them. They'll just tell me stuff, and I can't crack you. Maybe that was the appeal at first. Well, and there's, uh, in this very first scene, and multiple times throughout the movie, we call back to this. Um, apparently, somebody's having some problems getting where they need to be in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it's potentially mutual, um, but it, sound, it sounds like she's blaming herself for for someone's inability to get off mm. um and she she views it as like an affront to her her like beauty her value gotcha and she holds that against her husband um which is why she seeks you know 
affection in the arms of another. Um, and by the time we get to the the end of the movie, this all kind of comes to the forefront, and it's like, oh, well, she she just doesn't have she just doesn't have the emotional intelligence to to be a good wife, and he's just a shitty person, yeah. so they're just not meant to be at yeah. all. Um, but yeah, the, this from an analytical standpoint i'm curious what you thought of having mirrors on both sides of them so uh, there's something about their uh his character um i think he's 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 hitting it from the back uh my mom and my brother listen to this podcast i'm gonna tell him to skip this one (laughs) just because of explaining (laughs) this um so yeah he's he's hitting it from the back and uh he's looking at himself now i've definitely heard of dudes doing this before um but he's like looking at himself doing it and uh i mean people like doing it in front of mirrors and stuff like that think think american psycho yeah uh where he's he's (laughs) or uh, he's uh, basic instinct he's doing it with the camera he's not even looking at himself he's just looking at the camera he's 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 performing uh, he gives it a wink yeah a <laughs> <laughs> i love sending that gift to people because they don't if they're not familiar with the movie they don't know what's happening right there they're just like yeah man <laughs> you're like yeah Shaking your head, pointing, you, bro yeah. it's like you don't have you don't have any fucking clue what you're looking at right there's now. a hooker over there um <laughs> just below the frame just below the frame um <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. Uh, aside from him, I, I think they have an idea. They have an idea of what they want their lives to be, and he's living his life the way he wants to, at at, at a cost. And um, yeah, I think maybe the mirrors are like have something to do with that. I don't know of how they see themselves and how they want well, to see themselves, or how he wants to see himself. Because she is light years out of his league, by the way, light years. Hi absolutely this is this is marissa tomei i mean any 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 year any day yeah she's gorgeous mm-hmm. right now um, yeah. you, you, like aunt may she's aunt may right mm-hmm. now and yeah. she's she's gorgeous yeah um smoke show but this is also like not too long before she did the the wrestler oh where yeah. she was in stripper shape mm-hmm. so <laughs> she was probably in the gym pretty hard at that point but um I don't know. Like we should probably keep this in the back of our mind when we're thinking of his characterization throughout the movie, because I mm-hmm. think it's there's you don't put a character in this particular setting with these particular props and have that be your opening shot without having it mean something. Yeah. And at first, I thought it was he's a narcissist, mm-hmm. um, but that's not true. No, um, it's not. I, like right here and now, before we've gotten into the movie, um, I think it probably has something to do with that little. Uh, tangent he goes on when he's on heroin mm-hmm. about about like his life not adding up mm-hmm. and he just seems like a very lost person like he like the way the mirrors are set up in that scene it's like an infinite mirror loop because there's mirrors on either side of him and it just looks like he's one body in a sea of thousands of identical ones that it, it's like he's not really there um, so just keep that in the back of your mind, but we should get into the rest of the movie. Yeah, but so, well, the, the, we, uh, we, can, we can talk about him, you know, yeah. doing Marissa Tomei from behind all day long. Yeah, <laughs> just the small dialogue in the in the bed. They're stoned. They're on vacation, basically, and in passing, he's just like, "Don't you wish we could do? Uh, so I wish we could live like this all the time." And that's his character. He's just like, "I don't want to be a real person anymore. I just want to be on vacation. That's what I want to do." And then. We get the yeah. We get the cut to he's, he mentions blame it on Rio by the way. Did you did you yeah. catch? Yeah. Well, there's a several callbacks to Rio, but he uses the phrase and and 
name drops the movie yeah blame it on rio because they're that's like their happy place where mm-hmm. the two of them could get exactly what they wanted from each other because mm-hmm. i guess in their daily life living together as a married couple there's tension there but in rio they were happy together so it's like it's like their security blanket they they both come back to when they're thinking of happier times and he he brings up in this scene and later on the movie like scheming up ways to get back there yeah like like not just physically but like spiritually i guess yeah like let's if we can get if we can get centered and back to rio everything will be fine um but yeah this is also where they like i noted in the dialogue it's very vague but like he's mentioned something about was it the pot mm-hmm. um and oh. i think it has something to do with maybe he wasn't able to finish or something that does not happen um i mean well, the point is she starts she like starts tearing up a bit um she's like depressed post-coital mm-hmm. um which is and, i've never that's that, that's always a red flag if somebody's sad post-coital <laughs> well i mean if it didn't go so well and yeah. you're a, you know you're marissa tomei yeah that's true like maybe that maybe you take that pretty hard where it's like like, about, she's this, never gotten this. there. <laughs> she's, she's never gotten there. No, it's called acting, time. Kyle. It's called acting. She's <laughs> never had time to get there. <laughs> but yeah, there's some dialogue exchanged. Like everything's. He tries to reassure her. Everything's wonderful. And and I think she even says like, I don't feel like such a fuck up when I'm here. As in, I'm guessing Rio. Um. And did you catch the title card here? Oh yeah. May you be in heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're dead. And that's what that's what sucked me into this. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. Like, um, yeah, um, that followed by the score. I was like, oh, this is gonna get real dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you're in for it. Yeah. So we cut back. We cut to this scene. It's robbery day. Um, yeah. In fact, it says on screen in robbery. white text, "The day of the robbery." Yeah. So this guy in a ski mask, uh, Aunt May gets dropped off um, at the jewelry store, and we, we don't know who these people are. We're just we're just introduced to these people. She's she's going yeah, to old, the... old man drops off old lady. Yeah, yeah old man <laughs> drops off old lady, um, and she goes inside. She starts taking some jewel some jewels out. And she hears the door open, and she looks in there, and there's a fucking shit bag with a ski mask and a gun. He's basically holding her up. If you've never seen a movie. Um, that's what's happening. <laughs> um, and this scene, I mean, this goes on for a while. And it I feel like this is exactly what would happen in a robbery. Like, it's just one person screaming at the other. They both, I think she shouldn't have done what she does next. And, and that is uh, pull a gun out of the register. Like, he was just going to take the jewelry and go. It's all insured. He's not going to hurt you. He just wants the jewelry. But, yeah. Uh, while he's trying to smash into some uh, some uh, some jewelry underneath the glass uh aunt may pulls a gun from the register and pops him yeah so kyle is referring to this old this elderly woman as aunt may um the actress's name is rosemary harris but you you me everyone else on the planet knows her as aunt may i don't know why we need to explain explain this (laughs) we no if you're listening to this podcast you've seen at least one of the sam raimi spider-man movies spider-man's spider-man's holy shit kyle we have two Aunt Mays in this movie. We do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, have, we have two Aunt Mays in this movie. No kidding. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. 
maybe maybe she recommended her. She's like, actually, she would be very good for Aunt May. <laughs> it's like that Marissa lady. She makes Aunt May look hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the scene was really interesting because, like you said, it does it does play out over a, a number of minutes. And the first thing, like, like no offense to the actor, um, I, I had to look him up. I didn't catch his name, but I just wanted to check where he's from. I guess he's Irish, but he grew up in America primarily, which explains his indiscernible accent. Mm. Like, I was like, where the fuck are you from? Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I I wanted to say, like, like some borough of New York mixed with a little bit of Boston. It's like, no, he's, he's like, Irish, but put through several filters. <laughs> he's from the movie... For- he's from the movie Gangs of New York, basically. He's an actual character from there. He's, yeah, he's, he's not a native, though. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But yeah, at first I thought he was putting on a phony accent to like, hi- like hide his identity or something. Mm. But I like the acting in this sequence because she looks like pissed off and yeah. terrified at the same time. She looks pissed. She's like, mad. She looks yeah. Yeah, she's not happy that she's getting robbed, and he is just nervous. Like he he keeps fucking up. He keeps dropping things. Like he, he like has to yell at her. Like where are the keys? It's like, dude, you should probably already know where those are. Yeah. And like he's waving this gun around like it's a toy. It's not. It's a no. real gun. Um. And yeah, she looks hella pissed at him the whole time. And I like uh, like as he's trying to break the glass, like you said, she goes for a gun. Like and it, we get these swift cut cuts back and forth between her eyes and like where her eye line is looking. And then back to him, like he is cussing up a storm. It's like that alone would would piss off Aunt May. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh yeah. I think the line in Spider Man Two was "Shame on you." <laughs> <laughs> Before she hit Doc Doc, Doc Ock with her umbrella. Um, but yeah, uh, they she ends up shooting him in the back, mm-hmm. and uh, he turns around when he's on the floor, and he shoots her in return. And so we have two people on the floor covered in blood, and he starts like scooting his. Yeah. He starts like dragging his butt on the floor trying to like kick his way back to the door and she goes she crawls on the floor, goes for the gun again, and uh just in time for him to stand up, she caps him and he falls through the glass door. I was hoping she uh, dumped the, the clip on him. Boom 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 boom. I mean shit. <laughs> so, like I wouldn't be surprised. She looked hella pissed. Dump the clip. Just get it out. Put holes in this man for robbing you. Yeah, he uh, he he flies through the window, and you haven't gotten to this part of Archer yet. But Ethan Hawke uh, is wearing a disguise as uh, Hank. He looks like Randy Magnum, uh, an Archer character that has uh, a mustache. He's got a mustache, a wig, and like big aviator glasses, and he is freaking out. And he just he peels out of there. Yeah, uh, he peels out and he keeps crying out for uh, the name Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know who Andy is just yet, but we're about to find out. Mm-hmm. And then we get a freeze frame uh, of him behind the wheel, and we do this strobe cut, so it, it like a few flickers times, yeah. back. Yeah, it flickers back and forth between a still frame of him behind the wheel and then what looks like a softball game. Yeah, and th- and then we fully cut to the softball game. We get an on-screen title that says Hank. Yeah, three the, days before the robbery. That kid from Crocketeers. Um, so yeah, it's his brother. 
This is his brother Hank. We don't know it's his brother yet, but we're just going to tell you it's his brother Hank. I mean, if you've read the description, you're kind of already piecing it together. Yeah. But yeah, it's just after a softball game, and this is taking place in New York. So um, uh, Hank, or Andy, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, is uh, buying everybody hot dogs. They're buying all the girls hot dogs and stuff like that. And uh, nothing really happens here. They just, they're kind of chatting, like small talk. He's like, uh, I'll buy it. And he's like, no, I'll get it. And he's like, you sure? Like... <laughs> Sure, you can afford all these hot dogs. I don't think you can, but anyway, yeah, um, just based on their haircuts and their attire, it's very easy to discern that you know Andy Philip Seymour Hoffman is probably more well off than Hank yeah. Ethan Hawke. Um, and then we get Ethan Hawke dropping off his daughter at his ex-wife's house. His bitch ex-wife, yeah. Oh my god, this is like maybe the worst relationship I've ever seen they didn't stay together <laughs> she, for the she kid. is yeah she is aggressive <laughs> yeah but Holy in shit. her defense he's a dipshit i mean if there was a definition for the, the for the word dipshit it's this character because he is a dipshit he's he's the fredo of the family oh for sure fredo had more wits about him <laughs> ouch yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, as soon as he comes through the door, he like pushes the daughter into like her bedroom, and he just like in the span of like twenty seconds, his ex-wife immediately calls out, "You didn't feed her junk food, did you?" Yeah. Um, which it just so happens when Philip Seymour Hoffman was buying everyone hot dogs, Ethan Hawke did mention like, "I'm not supposed to give her junk food." And so, was she a fucking mogwai? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <No> shit. <laughs> but I, just, I like their like snappy back and forth where. It, she she asks like you didn't feed your junk food did you and he's like you look puffy and she's like fuck you nice. <laughs> yeah good good move yeah she's like you didn't feed your junk food did you she looks puffy you look puffy fuck you fuck end scene <laughs> yeah and then he he's meeting with uh, Andy again at the bar uh, they meet at a, at a bar um, yeah Andy's got a nice little classy tall drink and a with like a, a whiskey or vodka soda or something like that and. Substance abuse is definitely a big part of uh, these two characters' lives. Um, I always kind of pay attention to what people are drinking. It, I think it's kind of uh, kind of glossed over for people who don't drink or people who are continuing to drink. Like you just don't really notice it in films. But when you step back and you're like, he's having a shot and a beer. I'm like, okay, he's a drinker. Like that's, I mean, for now, like I I hardly drink anymore. A shot right before a beer, I'm like I'm already lit up at that point. But this is just you know. Well, Meet my a brother. shot in a beer before the other party has arrived. Mm. Like he's he's sitting alone, and then and then Hank shows up. <laughs> oh, um, Hank's the one with the shot in the beer. Hoffman is Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's the one with the with the tall with the soda. Um, mm. But it's just setting the tone. Like he's a he's a drinker throughout the film. Um, not 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 like a not like a. Uh, uh, like a stumbling drunk all the time. It's just he drinks pretty consistently. He uh, has one moment where he's stumbling drunk. He's, it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a funny little detail here that I don't know if it was important for the script or if it was just because it was 2007 when this came out. But, Brain cancer? Uh, yeah. 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 That, that was an interesting detail because I do remember that thoroughly being a thing for a minute there but it seems like everybody forgot about it or doesn't care anymore but yeah around the time like smartphones were starting to become a thing like we weren't quite there yet in 2007 like 
yeah that that was like consensus like oh you don't want to do that you need to use a bluetooth or like a headset whenever you get a phone call <laughs> that's my favorite that's my favorite scene from zoolander is uh is uh, jerry stiller like getting ready to make the call and he's just like putting the earpiece in i'm afraid of the radiation <laughs> it's the funniest shit. only jelly only jerry stiller could make that work as it, well as it does it's so fucking funny. it's so funny it's, it's funny like um i remember my brother a long time ago like pointed out to me and I, it's a small detail but i couldn't believe i missed it it was like the departed doesn't work without cell phones no like that's a, that's an entire movie that could not exist without technology like that particular type of technological innovation i was like fuck you're right like, like i don't know i don't think you could structure that without that that important plot device mm. but i always thought that was really cool it's mm. like that's a good use of technology in a film because for like a horror film director cell phones are a nightmare but in that case that's a script that fucking incorporates it and embraces it it's kind of yeah. cool um you're a prick, Andy. <laughs> I love his response to that. I always was. Always was. So yeah, this is where uh, this is where Andy's pitching him on the idea of uh, robbing a place, and he doesn't tell him who, like what it is. He's just like, yeah, this is place. Basically, we'll get sixty grand each. That's what we want. That's what uh, we'll be getting. Like, just think about it. Don't have to commit right now. Just think about it. Yeah. yeah uh, there's also. Not liberal use, but it comes up several times in the movie uh, of the the heavy f bomb. Oh <laughs> like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, I think it's fitting that's between brothers, especially an older brother calling a younger brother that. Yeah, because uh, I could totally see that being a thing for these these two characters in particular growing up, because you know Albert Finney seems like maybe he dropped it a couple times too when they were both young <laughs> Albert Finney seemed like a shitty like he was a sh- not a shitbag dad he was a mean dad he was not a nice guy well I mean I'm sure his breath stinks awfully because he never shuts that goddamn trap <sighs> it, it's just it's always hanging open like yeah I don't know how how long like the the ratio of, of how many years Albert Finney spent as an old man but, <laughs> if, but I feel like he was an old man by the time he was like 20 or something yeah it's just his, the mannerisms are so practiced <laughs> yeah he's been old for a long time yeah um, but yeah this this scene is where it becomes like readily apparent that these two characters are brothers andy is the older hank is the younger um but then we cut downtown and uh hank walks up to the the, the doorstep and marissa tomei is sitting out there and we're at a downtown apartment not a great not a fancy one but no just a it's a studio downtown. yeah <laughs> yeah um and then they bang off screen yeah you know, cut to them post-coital in bed Man, she's got terrible taste in men. I mean, if you're splitting it between two brothers, at least get the two oldest Baldwins or something like that. Like, not <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke. Like, <laughs> or get on that Hemsworth train. I mean, yeah, Jesus. you can throw a dart and hit either one, like any three of them. They'll get it I done. Mean, I mean, we we got to see Chad Lowe recently. I mean, oh fuck, yeah, the yeah. Lowe brothers. Go shit. the Lowe brothers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they apparently are having an affair. Um, it seems apparent that Andy is not aware of this. Um, and she throws an important line at him here. Uh, she says, when are you going to grow up, Hank? Yeah. And it's like, the answer is never. No. <laughs> um, and he he tells her he loves her. It's like, mm. Hank, God You can't damn do that. That's his brother's You can't wife. do that. And especially because at this point, I actually... 
at this point in the film, I wasn't certain if she was an escort or a hooker or what. Like, I, I didn't know that she was married to to Andy just yet. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then we cut to a school play. And uh, oh, yeah. Hank is cheering for his girl. And uh, I, <laughs> my notes read here, the haircut goes a long way to making him look like a loser. Lol. <laughs> it is a loser haircut, yeah. Um, but post-play, uh, we get to see uh, Aunt May and Albert Finney um, there congratulating the daughter, who is not a great actress. I'm yeah, just going to say it right. She she knows it, though. Like, yeah. she, le- she at least knows that she kind of fucked up her lines a little bit. Um, but this is where it becomes apparent that, oh, the old lady from the opening, Aunt May, is their mom. Yes. And Albert Finney is their dad. So the, the wheels are in motion and the equation is adding up. And mm. we're like, oh, okay. This, no wonder the score for this movie is so downbeat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love... Uh, I love when the daughter brings up the subject of the field trip. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go see the Lion King. It's a field trip. It costs $130. And his haircut tells me right away, Daddy can't afford that. Can't afford that. <laughs> and the, the mom's kind of smiling at him like, you shitbag. You can't even afford yeah. it. Yeah, she doesn't have a line here, but we just get a close-up of her face just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just given like this self-satisfied look of awfulness. I've never asked my um, parents for something where they've given me this response. We're like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll try to get that. We'll try to do that. It's like, no, you're not doing that. Well, yeah, we can take care of that. Generally, it was the former. Uh, but yeah, this is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Um because you're you're right. Like from a parenting standpoint, it's probably in everyone's best interest if you just you, you, you do not show weakness. No, 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 no. <laughs> not around the little ones. Like, fuck. I mean, a lot of cultures believe the young people can see fucking ghosts. If they can see ghosts, they can see indecision. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so yeah, it's clear that Hank needs the money. Um, he just needs money in general, and uh, he. So this is where I'm confused. So he he needs money, and he's going to meet Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's going to meet his brother, and he's in like a little coffee shop in an office, and he calls him on a payphone. He's like, "Where are you at?" And he's like, "I'm 30 seconds down from your office or whatever." And he's walking through, and a lady starts telling him like she needs something from him. She's just like, "Hey, we need this and that," and he just like walks right past her. Um, yeah. And I'm like, "Do they work in the same office?" They do. Okay. But we never see them in the office together. It's just like this one scene. Uh, I think, yeah, it's it's the one scene, but like all credit to the filmmaker here. This is every scene here has communicated very important information to us in regards to how all the characters relate to each other. Um, and yeah, it was kind of shocking to have that moment where he, he just picks up a phone in like the company cafe or something and <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's response is, "Yeah, my office, thirty seconds," and then we get to see him literally just like round the corner in the yeah. office and go into his brother's corner suite because <laughs> it's readily apparent that Hank is a worker bee and Andy is a fucking high-powered executive of some sort. Um, but yeah, I, that that gal, I don't, I don't know if her problem ever got resolved, but I he completely not. ignores her. <laughs> it, it did not. It did not. <laughs> Um, and yeah, uh, Hank walks in on Andy, and Andy is smoking in his office. Oh yeah, this, I mean, this was two thousand, filmed in like two thousand six. I yeah. don't think you could still smoke inside places, but I might help. More power to you if you can. That's awesome. Andy gives zero fucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even if there is a policy, he does not care. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, he is smoking in his office. It's it's cozy. I don't like the ultra modernist like aesthetic it has. Yeah. I hate his desk because it looks cheap. Yeah. Um, but he, as a human being, he's a little bit surface detail. Like, like he doesn't. He's not a man of taste for the most part, so it fits. He's a little bit slimy. Um, but yeah, uh, it takes some convincing here, and actually, it takes several rounds of convincing. Um, but we have this power dynamic here, where Andy comes in. Uh, Hank walks into Andy's office, and Andy's saying like. You're not you're not in until you say it. Like I need you to re- like verbalize that that like you're you're in on this robbery job. Like you're you're good to go and you're ready. And like Hank kind of pussyfoots around it for a little while, and then he finally caves. Um, and then I notice that the the score like kicks in the moment he agrees to like he says I'm in. Mm-hmm. And the score, which is this like droning melancholy track that plays throughout the entire film, uh, so. He, good luck getting this out of your head if you if you pull up the score on youtube or something um but they kind of like celebrate a little bit andy and then uh andy andy says show me your hands Uh, (laughs) that was a fun little detail Mm -hmm. uh because he's like basically he's like making sure that he's not like like crossing his fingers or like you know doing like kings like chicken shit baby stuff as he refers to it just kidding um, and there's a really interesting dialogue exchange here where Andy actually is like doing a little bit of a brief as to what the plan is. And he refers to the person who runs the jewelry store as the dumb old lady. And so, yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, the dumb old lady that runs the jewelry store. But uh, it's, yeah. a, it's important what he was getting at here. Um, uh, because this is the person who is supposed to be in the jewelry store, not their mother. Um, but he does also give him a $2,000 advance and yeah. he's just like, I know you need money. He's just like, I just want out. He's like, I just want, I, I just want to get out of this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want the money and you need the money mm-hmm. too. He gives him the $2,000 advance. He's like, imagine the rest, you know? Um, but yeah, he goes to the dumb lady. I'm like, damn, I, I, I didn't catch that the first time I watched this movie. I caught it this time. I'm like, Oh, that's why it went south so quick. Yeah. Um, what's interesting here, and this is like super like basic film language 101 stuff but there's a lot of instances in uh these two character scenes together where andy positions himself above hank mm-hmm. and right after he gives him the two thousand dollar advance he walks around his desk and he sits on it while hank is still seated so he's like like kind of like hovering above him it's just like it's a power move for it's a visual reminder that this is big brother this is little brother this mm-hmm. is capable brother this is I don't even know what the fuck kind of dipshit he is, but it's like <laughs> I don't think he should have an apartment in New York City. <laughs> I think that's how much. Yeah, he, he, he is. needs supervision. Like, <laughs> how's he affording? How's he affording a studio in a decent part of New York? He looks like one of those guys that would like you'd be in an elevator with him or something. He'd start gagging out of nowhere, and he just like apolo- He just like apologize and like collect himself and be like. I forgot how to breathe. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's okay, Hank. <laughs> Hang in there. You'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, uh, we get some more stuff um, with with Hank and his wife. And I just wrote in my notes here, like, oof, this domestic stuff is killer. <laughs> like, it's it's rough. Um, and apparently, like the the running thing with him and his wife is that he owes her money. Yeah. And even with the two thousand dollars, he gives her like nine hundred here 
he's still behind like he still owes like i'm guessing it's child support or something um but then hank goes out to a bar and a waiter passes by him and by the way hank is pretty blitzed here yeah. as far as i can tell now he got his sleeves rolled up and his already shitty hair is especially shitty right now so you can tell he's been having some fun with that two thousand dollars that he should probably be squirreling away yeah um and this waiter that I noted, to me, he just looked like a stretched out Simon Pegg. <laughs> um, he passes by him and he offers to buy him a drink. And it, it, it seems like they know each other. Um, and I'm guessing that's the case. But they have a sit down and it seems like uh, this waiter guy is the guy to go to if you, if you need something like this done. Mm-hmm. So Hank's plan is to recruit this guy for the robbery. Um cut to him picking up the waiter guy from his from his what would you call this his dwelling Kyle. well he gets him a, he gets him, uh he propositions him he agrees he gets a rental car um and then yeah he it's uh, it's a shithole i mean it yes. is it is a <laughs> shithole apartment it's one of the worst things i've ever seen outside of a horror movie like it, it looks like garbage it looks like they yeah, it has it has like like hindi or like tibetan like rugs hanging from the walls and the and the actual walls there's no paper on them they just look like concrete and it's all cracked and bombed out yeah they look like potheads they look they look like potheads that i've lived with yeah <laughs> these people are in their yeah. like 30s like the characters we're talking about like philip seymour hoffman like these guys are in their like mid to late 30s and i don't think we're trying to hide that at all like these are older people yeah they, these are older guys who probably shouldn't be like strong strong arming old ladies at jewelry stores yeah. <laughs> um and they're white collar workers too but yeah he goes to pick up this waiter guy whose name is bobby by the way um and i really like this exchange because ethan hawk walks in there and the guy the guy's bed is positioned like right in front of the door that's where mine which, was in my studio <laughs> it was right there i feel like that's really bad feng shui in some way like i know the number one no-no is you don't have you don't like have the the bed pointed at the door, um, but like as soon as you open the door, it's like oh bed. <laughs> My apartment in Seattle was built, I think maybe when one of the Roosevelts was in office. I'm not sure which one, but it was it's an old apartment building, so it, that's just it had a place for the Murphy bed in it, basically. Gotcha. That, that communicates a like, lot. We don't um, give a fuck what you're gonna do. Like the door is by the bed. Get in the apartment. No one cares about how it's decorated. You have to work your 14-hour shift tomorrow. Complaining about how this is put together. My God. <laughs> um, but yeah, this place looks like a college dorm on crack. And mm. uh, I really love this uh, wake-up ritual this guy does, though. Because like, his wife is pissed at him, but she's also like 100% on his side. So like she's like muttering under her breath like oh, it's early and stuff but she's like you okay blah 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 like, <laughs> like it's an interesting dynamic but basically he as soon as he wakes up he he lights up a cigarette I think it's not a cigarette oh okay he starts smoking something that's weed and and then she <laughs> hands him like a glass of orange juice and he like gulps it down and he just like psychs himself up and he's like okay let's go let's go he's yeah. like showtime <laughs> good to go. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. it was definitely weed. Gotcha. Um, yeah, he gets Bobby. Um, he <laughs> uh, they stop off uh, at a gas station, and uh, 
Ethan Hawke puts on his uh, Randy Magnum disguise, and Bobby's like laughing his ass off. I was like, that's the dumbest fucking thing. He's like, I can't be seen. They know me. I used to work at this place. I can't be seen out there. And he's like, whatever. Um, and then they get to the place, and he's about to go in, and Bobby has to psych himself out with some some good old thrash metal. Uh, he... He has it out in the car for a little bit. Also, this is what Dwight Schrute does before sales calls in uh, the office. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he also does this. And Jim's like, do you do the thing? He's like, just leave the keys. He's like, gosh. He just does this. And he's he's in the back, like, doing air guitar punch in the back of the seat. Like That's basically what this guy's doing, more or less. Um, gotcha. Yeah. And then I think we get, like, the, the gunshot window break. Like, that's the next sequence. It just happens yeah, again. Um, he, we get a replay of the robbery, but this time it's from Hank's perspective. And uh, <laughs> I liked that the waiter right before he, he goes in there, um, he says, right now I need to get into character Yeah, yeah. <laughs> while, the, while the heavy metal is blaring. Um, but yeah, Hank hears the shots, and we get some like interesting edits here where the, every time a gunshot goes off, um, the camera like snaps closer to his face. So it's not a zoom. It's just the angle changes, and it's closer to his face. And he looks utterly mortified and terrified, um, and then he drives off, and he goes back to the gas station to remove his disguise. We get a moment with him looking a little, a little freaked out. Yes. <laughs> um, and then he hops on a payphone, and uh, he calls Andy. And to get through, like the receptionist or whatever, uh, he refers to himself as Mooney. Yeah. Which I would, I would assume is just like a code know, word like or a, something. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a code word or maybe a nickname he had when he was a kid. And then uh, we get a freeze frame on Andy when he answers the call and uh is told something bad happened like it didn't go right he um, says it just came apart andy yeah yes um freeze frame on andy's face and then i think we get another on-screen title four days before the yeah. robbery andy four um, days andy. before yeah. um yeah he seems like he's wrapping up a phone call with uh, gina he's just like oh i guess there wasn't enough money in the joint account so we're getting the idea that maybe andy's not keeping the trophy wife happy um yeah he's like i'm gonna take care of it um and then i love i love the drug use in this movie uh it's it's really cool uh he just from a minute i thought he was gonna go get into the petty cash because i just remember him doing it last time but he he just goes over to the desk and he's just chopping up cocaine right in the office just making it all nice and pretty he's got his own straw (laughs) he pulls out and I'm telling you, he's barely off the table. Like, <laughs> and his door open. Like, knock, knock, door open. And like, and he's like, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever get caught doing something you weren't supposed to be doing? <laughs> I think every young man has. Um, yeah. This is this is right up there with Ellis and Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's on that level. Um, I think I think uh, Ellis got caught in the act. Oh, he was more, in the yeah. act by the the president of the company yeah yeah <laughs> but yes. it was it was a businessman mr, mr. joseph yoshinobu takagi walked in on him he you, saw it but you know it's okay you he, use he a gun money. you use a gun i use a fountain pen what's the difference <laughs> uh yeah the cocaine use uh yeah he yeah he i don't know how he got away with this but yeah he just comes up like yep yeah, uh, i'll be there in a minute yeah uh-huh yeah um, I like that uh, he he puts the the coke on a CD case. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh the CDs. There are CDs in here. Yeah. That that yes, yes, yeah that dates this movie. Um, he's listening to a CD in the car. It took me a minute. I'm like a CD. I forgot about those. They were such a big part of my life. Now I don't even think about them. Like I never think about them. 
No, um, they're just a hassle. <laughs> yeah, so we get. I guess the IRS are going to be coming in to audit them, and everybody's like, "Oh God, the IRS." Andy is just completely like he's withdrawn from the room. He's not checked in at all. They're like, Andy, you're going to take care of that first. And he's like, "Yeah, sounds good. Uh huh, totally." Just completely out of it. Uh, and then yes, he does go back to his office and he dips into that petty cash a little bit, and we get to him going to this apartment building and. Man, this is a genius operation. Um, he just to get get an idea um, of, of if you're not familiar with uh, what I what I understand uh, New York uh, apartment or uh, condo like what it costs like a studio in a good part of town is going to be pretty expensive uh, for just one person. So Ethan Hawke is probably living paycheck to paycheck as it is. This place is millions of dollars. Um, it is a heroin den, and I believe this is a penthouse, if I'm not mistaken. Like this is apartments, more or less. Yes. Yeah. It's it's there's a lot of square footage. It's in a high rise in downtown New York. It's it's pretty fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, uh, we get this. The introduction of the scene is uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman getting into a cab. He gets out of the cab. He walks up a staircase, and the camera just tilts up and up and up and up and up mm-hmm. to to show us this gigantic skyscraper he's walking into. Um, but then we get a shot from the interior of the apartment that he's coming into, and uh, there's this very thin person with very emo haircut. Yeah, like. He he's actually from Thirty Rock. I can't remember his name. I think Gay Michael or Michael. I can't remember. He he he's he's gay in the show, but I think he might his name might be Gay Michael in the show. <laughs> but <laughs> okay, he plays, he's like this really. He wears like a tiny like the teeniest tiniest little t shirt, and he's just really bitchy, and he talks with a growl. And, so uh, he carried over some of his performance from this movie into that show. <laughs> so uh, what happens is you go up to this place, you make an appointment, and I believe you have probably about an hour. You have an hour-long appointment. Um, you go upstairs, get yourself comfortable, and uh, you pay your money, and they shoot you up with heroin, and you can just kind of clonk out on the bed for a while. And then uh, after your hour's up, I, I mean... Sober up a little bit and then get back on on your way. I'm like, this is a brilliant fucking operation that they have. How do you get how do you get into this though? That's what I want to know. Like, how does one get into? I'm sure there's stuff like this. I'm positive there's something like this. Oh yeah, I would imagine. This I mean, is, this is just a, it is just an upscale opium den. This is what <laughs> yeah, this is what train spotting. Like they have the same thing in train spotting. It's just way shittier. <laughs> God, no, this great. is this is a luxury opium den basically. Yeah. Where it, it it almost like masquerades as like a, a new age therapy office or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even the attire of the host who does not give any fucks about you as a human being. Oh yeah. So long as you pay up front. <laughs> his his line to him later. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a uh, I forget where the quote comes from, but he has a practiced apathy yes <laughs> um, but yeah he's dressed in this this like silken robe it has like a phoenix print on it or something and the whole time i'm thinking it's like oh it's like eric stoltz's younger more successful brother yeah. <laughs> from pulp fiction who is this i don't know you okay <laughs> <laughs> but when uh when andy walks in there when philip seymour hoffman goes in there um I think uh, 
I think the host. Um, can, are we just gonna call him Gay Michael? <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. Um, <laughs> let um, me. He he, re- <laughs> he refers to him as tonic water. I think. I'm oh. guessing that's because that's like part of his drink of choice. Because there's like an open bar when you walk in there. Yeah, he asks um, him like, "Do you want some food?" He's like, "Oh, tonic water." Yeah. Um, and on the on the soundtrack here. Oh, by the way, uh, Gay Michael does answer the door with a pistol. Um, so he he is aware that you know this is a sketchy business, and you probably need to have that whenever you're dealing with your clients, just in case. Um, but the this whole sequence plays out and it's a couple minutes long it's a single take when when andy comes into the apartment and we get to follow him throughout the entirety of it and you really get to see and appreciate the scale of it um but when we first enter the door uh gay michael's like cooking and completely ignoring philip seymour hoffman just completely just does not give a fuck just lets him wander around around as he pleases um but the the soundtrack uh, it sounded like cartoons to me, and it was later confirmed to be exactly that. Mm-hmm. I was I was banking on it being Popeye because I, I was almost positive I heard uh, the Anchors Away tune. Um, oh, but no, it was some like Thanksgiving like turkey shoot cartoon I've never seen before. It looked like almost like Tex Avery stuff or something. But probably I don't know. Like I, so much of that was making I was I was trying to piece together what this was making me think of, and the robe made me think of Eric Stoltz from Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And the cartoons made me think of Alfred Molina from from yeah. Boogie Nights and the, and the kid and the kid throwing the firecrackers. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Andy does help himself to some booze. He gets himself comfortable, and uh, then he walks into a bedroom. And at this point, me, the viewer, I'm like, I don't know what we're here for. <laughs> like, this is getting weird. I don't know what's going on. Um, and not a word is spoken between the two of them after the tonic water line. Um, and Gay Michael deposits his cash in this gigantic safe he has just in the middle of the hallway. Um, and he has a rig set up to heat up the heroin, and he puts it in a needle, and he administers it when Andy's in bed. I'm sorry, um, and then his, he, his name is Sasha on the show. On the, on the show. Where did Gay Michael come from? There's another, There's he's a part of the entourage. He's part of the gay entourage. So there's Sasha, Gay Michael, and Gay Michael. Uh, but they're all clearly gay. <laughs> That's I, I kind of want to still call him Gay Michael just because it has more of a snap to it. We'll go with right, Sasha. Sasha. I think we should go with Sasha. <laughs> okay, well, if I dif- if I like if I fall back on Gay Michael, you, the listener, have to try to keep up. Sorry. His two <laughs> credits. His two credits. This mm. and Thirty Rock. This is the only two things he's ever done. That's it. Yeah. Okay. He has I mean, a, he has a weird presence, but I feel like he's a one trick pony. Uh, he's just a bitchy gay dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he does it very, very well. But like, and he unfortunately, he he's like skinny, but he's kind of short, so it's like he he can't he can't fit in that Doug Bradley role. Mm-hmm. Not quite, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Um, but post uh, post heroin, Andy has a little rant here to himself. His babbling, yeah, his heroin yeah. babbling. Yeah, you want to go into that, Kyle? Oh, no, I just, I wrote down heroin babbling. He's just like, yeah, this is where you're talking about, I'm an accountant, at the end of the day, just all has to match up on the other side. Just, da, 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 da. And he's like kind of talking to the dude, but he's almost inaudible. Like, you can't understand what he, like, he, the other guy is, Sasha's far enough away from him, he's like, I have no idea what this dude's fucking saying, but Sasha's just like going through the books or something, and this like, fuck, dude, would you be quiet? Like, seriously. 
Um, but yeah, yeah it, go ahead. It so, has the look of a therapy session. Just the just yeah. his, his body language. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman is really slouched in his chair. He's facing the camera, and far away in the background, Sasha's looking out the window, like barely paying attention. Um, but I wrote down as much of it as I could, and what you had said is the the opening of it, where basically he's talking about real estate accounting being very formulaic it's like everything adds up it's, mm-hmm. it's a spreadsheet essentially and he's like but my life it it doesn't add up nothing connects to anything else i'm not the sum of my parts all my parts don't add up to one to one me i guess and then uh <laughs> sasha has some choice lines here yeah. that that fit fit the gay michael description uh get a shrink or a wife I have a wife. Get a shrink. <laughs> a shrink. Yeah. Uh, uh, then we cut back to, um, again, Marissa Tomei, uh, naked, again. <clears throat> They're just getting done with some lovemaking. I'm assuming it can't be very good at this point. I mean, we go from coke to heroin in the same day. I mean, can you even sustain an erection at that point? I don't know. I haven't done those things. Um and this is where we kind of, this is where we get like that. We want to move back to Brazil. Like this is again uh, after their vacation, obviously, but before the robbery. And it's like it just, everything will just be better. That's what they think. Like, like the real estate's like booming down there. We can live down there. It's not gonna be a problem. It'll be super cheap. Like you said, it's what we both want. And yeah, they must have honeymooned there. You said that they, they were there before. And like they think that that's gonna make things better where they have no responsibility. And that's the thing. Neither one of them want responsibility or know how to handle responsibility. And, like, you're still going to have to, like, make money down there. Like, you're still going to have to, like, afford your lifestyle. And, and this is the other thing with the heroin den. I'm like, this is where he goes to do heroin. And he sees how, like, like this place, like, I don't even think I'll ever get to walk into a place like this nice. Like, this is insanely nice. And this is just where he does heroin. So he has... It's like he he's he has a goal. He ha- he sees what he wants his life to be, but it's so unattainable for him. And I think going to the heroin den is rough on him too, because like you notice how he he's been to this place before. He they know he, he knows what his drink is, and he's still he walks through like almost every inch of this apartment before he gets back to that room. Yeah, uh, it's his golden palace from The Departed. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I- it's funny you mentioned the the coke followed by heroin. Uh, yeah. The first line of dialogue I think spoken in this postcoital scene is "Was it me, honey?" <laughs> Again, alluding to maybe not the best sex ever. No. Um, and uh, I think he references Rio as being a place where she she wasn't a lousy lay. <laughs> I love her. I like her body language here. Did you notice how she changes a little bit? Like she's kind of like afterwards, she's kind of sad. She gets down, but then they start talking about like, like the fantasy of moving back again. And she gets very like, it's well, a very she starts like rocking back and forth, almost like an excited little kid or something. Yeah. Yeah. There was, it was really interesting. Like, like just her body language with him right here. And, uh, she's also probably didn't get there, so she's still <laughs> she's still riled up, you know. <laughs> I mean, she she is kind of like rubbing up on part of it. Yeah, so. <laughs> she's still. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> um, but uh, she she does mention like moving back to Rio, and he she like pushes back about the idea of it for some reason. Um, and he uh, he 
gets a little snippy with her here mm-hmm. um and he kind of like runs his hands through his hair and he counters by noting that like he references the jewelry store um and he again references the fact that he and his brother used to work there and he's like so that's that's my humble beginnings i i worked in a jewelry store in a strip mall and then he throws out there it's like and now look at me i'm an i'm an executive making six figures and he basically this all comes from her saying like it's a bad idea because you don't even speak portuguese um, which by is the way, she, doesn't even, she doesn't even know they speak portuguese in brazil but she do, she just asks like you don't speak the language how are you, how are we going to get by when we get there and he he overreacts a bit and he's like i'll fucking figure it out oh, just fuck. like i figured this out yeah just like i figured you out um and funny little detail she throws out there that there's no extradition agreement between the u.s and brazil mm-hmm. and i wasn't sure the relevance of that I, I put a pin in it just because but like in my mind i was like i know that because one of my favorite boxers was killed in brazil and <laughs> they dropped it because of that <laughs> um i think this is to illustrate her intelligence which she doesn't have any um this yeah, she's kind of ignorant. She's pretty dumb. Uh, she was like, <laughs> she's like, I know a little Spanish, and he's like, it, they speak Portuguese in Brazil. It's not the same thing. Uh, and then she's in like, his Philip Seymour Hoffman way, he kind of like, he erupts with laughter. Yeah, <laughs> like he gets only, a, in a way only he can. <laughs> what's what, what's his, his character's name in the Big Lebowski? Brent? Is that what it is, or something like that? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah he that ha 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 that nervous <laughs> nervous laughing. I like that laughing better. Um, but yeah. um, uh, she says he's like, how do you know? Like how, like how the fuck do you know that Brazil has no extradition law or something like that? She's like, I saw it in a movie, and he starts laughing at that too. So this was like a double like, okay, she's not very she's not very smart. It's it's condescending. It's yeah. like, oh, you you think you're people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we get a, a scene that I wasn't sure what the significance of it was until later on. In fact, I don't even really know why he's here, but he goes to visit an actor that I only know as the weird German guy from the Monster Squad, mm-hmm. <laughs> who the works jeweler. in the jewelry district of um, downtown so New York. Whenever you're move, <clears throat> I'm assuming whenever you're moving something that's very, very valuable, but you need somebody to buy. Like if you're buying like a priceless painting, you can steal it. Like you, you can steal it, but like you have to have somebody to move it. Like you have somebody who's gonna buy it. Like you can't just go up and ask a rich person, "Hey, you want to buy a stolen stolen painting?" Like you need to have somebody that can do it. Same thing with, with jewelry. Like if you want to get a okay. good price out of it, you got to go to somebody who's dirty. Like somebody who's gonna give you a legit price on it and is gonna sell it under the like black market kind of deal. Okay. And okay. he's th- his, his fence. <laughs> yeah, and this is yeah, this is his fence. Um, and yeah, this is a. Uh, um, this was Steph even kind of asked me like this is like what this is kind of strange like why would he give him his business card but yeah he goes up to him and he's like I understand that you're a guy that uh, does bad things and stuff like that and he's like fuck off you're a cop and this dude is old old yes. like crazy old um, he's kind of just like fuck off dude I don't need I don't need none of this I don't need none of your none of your stuff and um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's like I might have something to move here pretty soon here's my card like look me up i'm not a cop like you can uh you can look it up and he goes to like open the door and the guy's like kind of laughed he's like ha ha and he's got a little buzzer right there i thought it was kind of funny this would be one of those scenes that's like 
in like a naked gun movie or something he'd be handing over the card and everyone in the scene would freeze and then look directly in the camera and be like did you get that (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on (laughs) that's a person i wish that we could bring back from the dead and like benjamin button like leslie nielsen should have lived to be old and then just went old and back to young he was he was a treasure comedic treasure yes yeah, very much great. not e- not even just comedic like he was a good serious actor too i saw planet uh oh gosh i forgot the forbidden name of it planet? forbidden planet there we go sorry i completely i dude i woke up this morning at 6 15 worked out i've been running around work because i work on my feet all day to come straight home, ate real quick, and doing this, so like I'm, I'm not firing on all on all four. <laughs> uh, he was, he was a, yeah, he did mostly a dramatic roles earlier in his career. Like, yeah. like he's he's a lot of fun in Creepshow, and if I remember right, he's in the he's in the he's in Prom Night, if I remember right. Is Creepshow an anthology? Yeah. Are you picking I've that? Been, I've been wanting you to watch that for a long time. Is that coming up? It, it should be okay. Well, I mean, that's going to be one of your choices. So yeah. Oh no, Creep Show is a wonderful time. Awesome. Like, it, it's great. Um, but yeah, we'll have to do that. Um, but yeah, after that brief exchange with the creepy German guy from the Monster Squad, <laughs> that's the only thing I know him from. Yeah. Um, cut back to Andy uh, giving Hank the advance, and this time, uh, this is the I think the first instance in the movie really where we get a repeat of a sequence just from a different angle. Yeah. Um. And uh, Andy makes it known that only Hank is going to be going to do that robbery. And uh, in his very Andy way, he just keeps talking until the situation like figures itself out. So basically he goes on this, this long tangent explaining that it's like, well, yeah, I was doing real estate deals in that area and like everybody recognized me. And so it's just not a good idea for me to be anywhere near there. Yeah. Um, you heard so basically he's, he's kind of... He's kind of strong, strong arming his little brother yeah. to, you know, take the brunt of the risk in doing this robbery. Um, and it does get to the point that uh, Andy like has to like intimidate him a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually they push past that though, and then we get like the end of the scene here is Andy almost like embracing his brother's cheeks, like like he's a mafiosa or something, <laughs> and saying like, it's too late to think. This is our future. Yeah, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's got the head of a pumpkin. Like, he's, like you throw a punch at that. It's not going to do shit. Like, and he's going to... Well, that's that's the thing about his proportions that's that makes it, like, enhances his acting ability. Mm-hmm. His head is enormous. His head it is makes it huge. Doubly, it makes it, like, doubly expressive because of it. Yeah. But it also has the effect of making his, like, his actual height and mass very difficult to pin down. Mm-hmm. So he oftentimes looks bigger or smaller than he actually is. So he, he's a goddamn chameleon. <laughs> like, he's a fucking alien. He's not a real, he's not a normal person. <laughs> he, he, his acting ability was too much. That's why he left us too soon. Yeah. Well, I, like he was doing heroin. I'm like, you know, this is how he died, right? Like he, he died in a hotel room doing heroin. Yeah, no, that I'm well aware of that. But um, no, then Steph we cut didn't back know, to, sorry. Oh, <laughs> then I uh, cut back to Hank at the payphone um and this time we get andy answering from a different camera angle and then we cut immediately to the hospital Mm. uh, the boys and uh marissa tomei uh, gina uh they're all standing like the front desk and we're like kind of badgering the receptionist lady like where's 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 dad they keep asking like 
um, Charles Hansen. Where's Charles Hansen? Like, we're here to visit him. We got a call. Like, we're expecting to find him in the hospital. And then both of them, like, all of them find out, oh, wait, we don't have an admission for Charles, but we do for Aunt May. And you can see it on their faces. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're not happy about that. And then they go into the waiting room, and Albert Finney is sitting in the waiting room. Da, Charles, Charles Hansen the dad the patriarch he's sitting in the waiting room and he is utterly distraught he is a wreck this is really yeah. good like the the performances are good in this but i think each one of these actors has a moment to themselves to just like highlight their ability and this i think this is his like he's really really a wreck right now i mean this is tough well, it's it's really good because it's also almost like his introduction mm-hmm. it's like we've seen him he said like one or two words when when they came to visit the play and we saw him drop off aunt may at the jewelry store in the very beginning of the movie but this is like the first time the camera's like trained on him and we get like a proper introduction and he's he's without words like he's just inconsolable to the point that it's just like he's kind of squirming in his seat and can't get any words out this is one of those moments where you don't you didn't truly understand the consequences of your decisions this is where like yeah your mom is in the hospital and that's awful but now you're seeing what it's doing to other people what it's doing to the other people that love her and that is almost worse in some cases and i think this is like for the first time watching you're like like i, I was talking to someone like how do i put myself in these guys' situations because this is like this is one of those I can't put myself in the situation because it's one of the most stressful things I could think of, like nearly killing your mother, destroying your dad. You are gonna be blackmailed here soon. You could go to prison. Like you just, there's too much going on. Like you're not to not to mention the problem you set out to solve, your financial problems hasn't even you haven't even touched that. Like you you didn't even get any of that taken care of. Uh-huh. So. This is a tough one to try to like wrap your head around, but when you see him crying, you're like, "Fuck!" Like you just like, "Well, I feel bad for these guys. This is quite a situation." <laughs> That'd be like if you were the friend who drove them there. You just like pat him on the shoulder and be like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're they're in <laughs> court. Be up front." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty um, rough. But, but yeah, uh, we get another on-screen title, and uh, it says Charles. One day before the robbery, and mom and dad are playing scrabble and he's on the phone with his daughter who is Mm. played by an actress who i don't know her name but i immediately recognized her i was like that's the one-legged gal from deuce bigelow oh (laughs) yes yes that's exactly who she is yeah i was i was like she's a little older but i know that face (laughs) i don't think i've seen her in anything else but i've seen that movie a few times um and yeah charles has a whole day ahead of him uh, so we get to see the uh, the steps that he and his wife went to um, to get her to the jewelry store. Um, basically, he has to go to the DMV, uh, I think, for like an eye test, basically to like verify his license. I'm guessing, uh, make sure that he's still fit to drive. Um, he seems a little scared, like a little bit nervous about it, because he probably doesn't have the best vision, as we'll see later in the movie. <laughs> um, but so he he has to do that errand which is why he ends up dropping his wife at the jewelry store instead of going in himself um and he everything goes swimmingly at the dmv and then cut to him arriving at the crime scene post shooting 
Yeah. And uh, we get to see him alone for a minute with his, his wife, and she's in the hospital bed, not looking great. No. And uh, he's he's just a mess, like, holding vigil, like, trying to watch over her. And we get this kind of like a breezy montage of just like a sl- just like a slight passage of time like a matter of days or hours or something but um we get a doctor standing in the room with the whole family like in the waiting room with everyone like explaining that things aren't looking good for mom um, just... you might want to get her affairs in order because this probably isn't going to work out yeah no brain activity um, very little chance of recovery yeah it's tough yeah and and then a uh, cut to andy and dad walking on walking outside the hospital having a chat and we learned that it's dad's birthday yeah <laughs> which is why he had to go to the dmv on his birthday <laughs> and this is where we learn he's like why was mom even there like why was she even there on a saturday like she wasn't even supposed to be there uh and then he's like it's my birthday he's not answering him at all he doesn't answer like a single one of his questions uh throughout the entire film uh phil uh uh, Andy's asking him questions and he just ignores them the entire time. It's got to be so frustrating. Especially <laughs> especially like in this situation like oh my god dude no wonder he's so angry at his dad. Well what's really fascinating about this exchange in particular is that you're, you're right he does ask him all these questions about like he he knew the schedule like he he, he knew that there was an, a different older woman that was supposed to be working there instead of their mom and like it was a Saturday she had no reason to be there. Um, but the the tone and the speed in which he asks these questions is it's almost like accusatory because yeah. from his perspective it's like he's like blaming his dad for for what happened yeah like, and his dad like he said is just kind of ignoring him and just kind of like in his own in his own state of grief that he he's probably just not listening to him yeah um, and by the way Hank took off because he's he just can't handle things like this I guess um put a pin in that because he does yeah. it multiple times in this movie um and then we go back home and we get a handheld shot uh following albert finney through his house um and we get this nice little beat where there's a clock ticking over this long take of him walking through the house holding a newspaper and then he puts the paper on the table and the, the clock ticking adds like it kind of like reflects his mood or his like his mental state i guess it's it's like a ticking time bomb almost Mm -hmm. um but we see that there's an article on the front page of the paper about um the robber who was shot by the way and is dead uh, about their identity and it doesn't take a genius to figure out like he wants to get to the bottom of this now that he knows who was in the room with his wife when she died or was shot rather um and he has a little freak out at the hospital following this and this begins like a, a series of events where he's trying to investigate things independently because the police don't seem at all able to help him in any way. Um, and then we get a really ugly scene with uh, him and his daughter and Andy mm-hmm. at, at home at the dinner table. And she's like trying to like cut up his, his food. Yeah. Like you would, like you would do for like a, a very elderly person. He doesn't seem like he's to that point. He's not at like all. She, Seems like she's coddling her son, him or something. Yeah, I think she's coming from, like, he's just so distraught and just so out of out of it right now. She's like, I'm just going to cut up his food for him so he has it. He's, I think he's taking it the wrong way. Also, it's just annoying because she's, like, like, scratching a plate right in front of him. He's like, would you fucking knock that off? Like, yeah. and it's, 
very immature to do to an, another adult, but I also get it as an older person. Like, like, stop that shit. Like, I, he he's right to be a little like a little Absolutely. little snippy, <laughs> um, but also grow up. Like, could you like, could you just not do that, please? Like, just stop. Um, and then yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman or Andy's asking him a bunch of questions like, "Are you need me to run like the? You need me to run uh, the the jewelry store? Open it up for a well, few he's, days?" He's pressuring him to pull the plug too. He's like, "Yeah, you, you need to make a decision." Like, yeah, he's, he's trying to pressure his dad into like doing something about the situation. But there was a small detail here in the dialogue that I don't know if it held any significance. But I noticed that the daughter, who's basically a non-character, like she's she's pissy and she's coddling of her father but other than that she's not she's a non-element to the story but she does like mention that mom is in jesus's hands it's like knock it off yeah they just yeah and that's the reaction it's like both quick. men in the room are just kind of like snap at her i think but she's like, the she's the only person who even touches on that subject in this entire movie i think growing up with a difficult person like this especially for siblings that don't stay like close together um i think they all kind of deal with this person in their own way and you can kind of see it like she's seems like she's pretty straight laced very much into jesus philip seymour hoffman is you know a material girl living in a material world uh he has a crippling uh heroin addiction um drinking doing coke uh and then obviously um what's his face uh hank is also an alcoholic more or less um, hank is also forever a child and runs yeah. away from everything yeah and he's yeah he's a he's a big baby like he's just kind of a bitch he's kind of a bitch uh, i called him a pussy and steph's like you say that too much i'm like okay fine i'll find a different word to describe him he's a I bitch i was in the military <laughs> it's kind of a thing he's kind of a little bitch uh, just saying um yeah so it, it, i like i like having that added in there it just it kind of adds to like this was a difficult man to grow up with he's like he's like philip seymour hoffman is having a like trying to have a serious discussion with him and he's just taking off his fucking shoes not even acknowledging him uh it just gotta be so infuriating so yeah and <laughs> tempers rise and then they just leave basically they all just leave uh yeah. leave the room um and uh, meanwhile, uh, Albert Finney, uh, Charles, Charles, uh, Charles, he, Charles. I've, I, I have two sons and a daughter. She's kind of into jazzes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need, uh, I need to watch something with Ian McKellen pretty soon because I've already, I've already burned through the Hobbit movies and the Lord of the Rings for this year. I've already, mm-hmm. I've already done it, so I need something else with him. Um, Maybe uh, I don't know if it's actually good, but Apt Pupil was. I've been meaning to watch that. I might go back and watch the first two X Men movies actually, because it's been a long time since I've seen those. Well, let me let me throw another thing on the table in case you're not aware of it. Um, Apt Pupil, if I remember, is Brad Renfro, and it's a Nazi thing, and it's directed by Brian Singer. Oh, who was who was the person who directed X Men? Interesting. Who is also a gay man and Brian is, Singer's gay no, is no is known to touch on some touch a lot of nerves. With he he's not afraid to touch on a lot of subjects. We're not allowed to talk about him anymore because he, <laughs> because he's on the Hollywood shit list. And I don't oh, know like if he'll Rob ever make another movie. I didn't know um, about Rob Cohen. No, I mean, there, I mean there's a reason that uh, the. Uh, was a bohemian rhapsody movie was completed by another individual mm-hmm. um, so but 
connections revolutions. <laughs> revolutions yeah I, I mean i just read I, about i wouldn't be surprised if that was what got ian mckellen the gig for x-men i mean it was a perfect fucking choice but that was I, they had worked together before yeah I was say I just read about Rob Cohen. I'm like, why is he? Why does everybody hate Rob Cohen? What did he do? And I'm like, oh yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why he's not doing movies anymore. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so Al in the meantime, he's been pretty frustrated because he's been trying. He's like, we need to find my wife's killer, and uh, the the cops are just like, where Dude, are you from? This is <laughs> new, yeah. Uh, he is from Alabama by way of uh, Great Britain. Uh, oh, man. If, if only we could get Brian Cox and, and Albert oh, Finney man. in the same movie. Yeah. They both do no, the same but, thing. Oh, it would be like Swamp Cops. It'd be yeah. like... It'd be like in New Orleans or something. <laughs> well, you know, there, remember that remember that bit in um, Green Street Hooligans where he's like, "How are we, my colonial cousin?" He's like, "Fine, thanks." He's like, "Fine, thanks." Maybe mm-hmm. the reason why British people lean on like when British actors do an American accent, they tend to like the the best ones to go with like a Southern accent. Maybe that's just how they hear us and they don't realize that they're doing a bit of a Southern accent or just purposely lead into that a bit more. It could be. I hadn't thought of it, but there's a there's a thing you can find on YouTube. Um, it's it's pretty old at this point. In fact, I think it's from the 70s, but it found its way onto YouTube like towards the beginning of YouTube. Anyway, it's it's an Italian song that was written by a guy, um, and all the lyrics that uh, all the lyrics are an approximation of English. So it's all gibberish, but the way he wrote the lyrics was just his Italian ears hearing english pop music oh okay and and just like writing what it sounds like to him Hmm. it's really fascinating to hear because it's like oh so that's what they think we sound like interesting i'll see if i can find it for you because it's it's a catchy tune but it is gibberish like it's not in a language and it's really fascinating if you find it I'm, i'm really curious i'd like to hear it but i think we do all i think we do probably have a little bit of a southern draw and maybe that's why they kind of lean into that a bit or it sounds like they may not realize it but it sounds southern to us I always thought you were one of a kind. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's pretty frustrated. So he just backs his car into a cop car, uh, just to. He to, gives zero fuck. He he does not. I. What could you possibly care about at this point in your life? Like you are you are at retirement age, but you're not. Like you just haven't yeah. retired, and this is like the person you've been with for, uh, like, 30, 40 years, maybe. Maybe fifty years at this point. Who knows? Um, and just his his reaction tells us the audience like we don't need to know much more about their relationship. Just that he cares. He very lot. much loved his wife. Yeah. Um, um, so not to completely derail us because we've been on a streak of tangents here. But yeah. uh, have you seen about Schmidt? No, I have not seen that. I I need to find an excuse to have you watch that then. Jack Nicholson. Just give me. Well, I want to go back and watch some old Jack Nicholson movies. So it's not an. It's not an old one. He's 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 older by the time it was made. No, like we could do like something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue, but with like Jack Nicholson <laughs> movies, basically. <laughs> like an old Jack Nicholson, a new Jack Nicholson. One where he's out of his element, and one where he's fucking in his element. So for something blue, what we culminate with Terminator Two or something? <laughs> like something where he like it just. Why was he in that? Or like what? I don't know if he even has any kind of roles like that. Where it's just like you didn't well, really belong I, here. I haven't even seen Chinatown, but I need to see the two Jakes just because 
the fact that there exists a sequel yeah. to Chinatown not just, directed by it Roman just Polanski bef- it's, it befuddles me <laughs> it may even be directed by Jack Nobody. it's a fucking snooze man I watched Chinatown it's just like I, I gotta watch it but yeah. anyway about Schmidt um, is about grieving kind of in its own way and it's it's very good that I mean that could be the something blue like a sad like a sad like a depressed movie something blue it, about Schmidt. it's not a it's not a depressing movie oh, okay it's it's a it's a nice little it's it's indie schlock that I actually like which is very rare <laughs> I want to go back I want to watch Wolf I remember it being scary when I was a kid but I have a feeling it's not I just remember his jowls wiggling in slow motion when he he hops like gravity is not friendly to Jack Nicholson mm. like when he has you know when his bank account's padded like and he when he's in joker shape essentially because <laughs> i mean the man's never been a physical specimen but no. there's like a certain cutoff point where he just you know i got lifetime lakers tickets i don't care man <laughs> i think it was around a few good men because that's when he started looking like shit like okay you're starting well, that to was that fat. was already the 90s so oh yeah like, i guess so yeah yeah, his uh, his neckline was filling out that uniform pretty well. <laughs> pretty fat Batman, I'd say. Oh yeah, he. That's why I say Joker shape. Yeah, he he kind of really husky. hit a wall. Man, he did not keep himself up. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, Albert. Welcome Finney back to Jack in. Nicholson is fat. <laughs> <laughs> An entire podcast about his his fat. So he really started packing it in right around 1982. Is when I was starting to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Albert Finney backs up into a cop car, a parked cop car, yeah. by the way. Um, and then we get a slow zoom on him in a what appears to be a dining room or something, a very poorly lit dining room, by the way. But the camera has this intimate angle it pulls into his face, and uh, the whole family's gathered around him. And curiously enough, uh, the two, now that I think about it, it actually, it's interesting. Um, so the way everyone's positioned in the frame here, he's center frame, sitting at the table, and to his left, Hank is sitting there, and to his right, uh, Gina, Marissa Tomei, is, she's got, like, both of her arms, like, folded, and she's, like, got her chin, like, resting on her arms. So the two people who are having an affair are the ones seated beside him, and then Andy and the daughter are standing above him behind. Mm-hmm. So the two people who are actually, like, the most involved with what's happening are the ones who have the most passive stance in in this shot Uh and unfortunately i feel like that's probably realistic it's like the people who get swept up and have the most emotional reaction to what's going on are sometimes the people who aren't actually as involved as they as they as they perceive themselves to be i guess it's yeah, it's a difficult. You're losing a parent. Like you have a, there. She's in a vegetative state. Like that's not an easy thing to deal with. Oh yeah, um, but basically, this scene exists to, you know, have Albert Finney finally say, "Let her, let her go." Pull so the plug. Saying, yeah, yeah. He is pulling the plug, and then we immediately cut to a f- brief funeral, and uh, all the we're like at a funeral parlor or something after the ceremony, and both the boys are receiving condolences from the crowd. And f- Hank uses a phrase here, like, so he uses the word scene. <laughs> like, I can't, like, the scene isn't for me or something like yeah. that. It's it's a weird, like, hipster line. <laughs> but he basically dips out. Yeah. He, he steps out, and uh, it's really funny, actually, what we, later we get to see where he goes and what he does. Um, but he dips out, and he leaves the funeral parlor. And uh, 
Andy shoots him a look, and Dad does too, and he has a line here to end the scene. He was always such a baby. He <laughs> calls his son a baby at his mother's funeral. At his mother's funeral. <laughs> what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. And by the way, Marissa Tomei's dress is uh, maybe not funeral appropriate. No, absolutely not. She doesn't have I mean, funeral attire. I mean, she it's nice. I mean, it's nice, but not here. Not no. now. <laughs> no, they're and, at... Uh, I love her body language when she's in the kitchen because she just looks like she has no fucking clue where to be or what to do. I think she's going to ask for a divorce in the car, in the car scene. I'm like, I think she's trying to get his attention to ask for a divorce. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Today yeah. is when you're going to ask for it? She's going. I swear to God she was going to. Um, I mean, her her face just is nothing but uncertainty. She's doing things like biting her lip and just like, holding her arms just like passively at her side like i don't know where to stand right now she looks like me at a party basically yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then she gets a phone call here and she's like i can't talk right now and i put a pin in that because it's actually kind of funny who she got the call from i have arrows um, pointing down to my notes later I'm like this is yeah. what was happening this is yeah, what was this, happening. this is what happens when you're dealing with a non-linear narrative there's yeah. certain things that aren't impactful until later until you receive more information um, but this is definitely something to put a pin in um, everybody leaves and uh, we get the sequence where albert finney's trying to call the cops to follow up on i guess the, the like the case file that he he presumes is being worked on for his wife um, he gets nowhere with that and again uh, similar to the ticking clock when he was at his home alone before um, there's a vacuum running over this whole like minute long sequence and it was driving me nuts because i i for whatever reason react like a dog to the sound of a vacuum <laughs> like it it really upsets me like i it's, when i was a kid it's an awful I would like, noise i would like go on walks through the neighborhood like when my mom would start vacuuming when i was young because it just drives me nuts we're, we're spending all of our money in the wrong technology guys can we make fucking quiet silent vacuums even we have like the one that just goes because we have dogs and they, she sheds constantly. So we have the little uh, the little robot one that just goes around the house. It even makes noise. I'm like silent, fucking silent vacuum cleaners. Whoever you have my money, all you need to do is make a quality silent vacuum cleaner. Oh yeah, You'd, they'd have my money if they announced a Kickstarter or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's not successful here. And again, I, I think the purpose of having the vacuum running is just to amplify, like, cue, like clue in the viewer that's like, you know, this is his, this is where his mental state is. He's maybe a little, a little upset, yeah. <laughs> a little annoyed. Um, and then we smash cut from him looking at uh, Aunt May's photo in his home, um, back to Hank at that payphone. So this is immediately post-robbery. And yeah. then we get another on-screen title, Hank, Day of the Robbery. Um, and then we get a brief sequence where Hank wipes down the, the rental car with his jacket. And the sound editing here was really cute, where, um, you know, you, you could, like, just drop out the sound here. Um, but with every cut of him uh, wiping away what I guess is he's presuming to be, like, fingerprints or something on the car, um, it sounds... it the sound sounds like it was live recorded so mm -hmm. you get like different like traffic noises and stuff and it gives you like a sensation of like uh, it took a while to do this like he took his time doing it and he still fucked it up yeah. <laughs> did you did you see you were never really here i did not <sighs> okay <laughs> let's keep going okay uh so hank calls his daughter 
Um, and basically the only reason he calls her is to tell her he can't afford the Lion King right now because he, no. he's got a few problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the daughter's like, you fucking loser. She She's just like, you said you could go. My friends all expected me to go. And mom's just like, fucking do it, dude. This guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, she calls him up. Like, you know what? You are a loser. And he, while he's laying, does he have a sofa bed or does he have an actual bed that he sleeps on? Cause I think it's a sofa bed. It looks like a sofa bed. He's a yeah. fucking loser. Like, that is bad, man. I mean, no offense if you're out there sleeping on a sofa bed. If you were like, if you're crashing on somebody's couch, you live with your parents right now, there's no shame in that. But if you have your own apartment and you have a sofa bed, you got to get your priorities in line. Like, that's, you got to step it up. You can get a used mattress for crying out loud. <laughs> um, so cut from that to the bar. And mm-hmm. I had to applaud his drunk acting here. I don't know. You're you're the expert here, but um, his basically what I mean by his his good drunk acting here is he's sitting alone at the bar and he's clearly had a few, and he does this move where he stands up, and then he like kind of looks around for a second and he starts wobbling and then he just kind of like gingerly repositions himself back on the chair because he's like yeah yeah that's not gonna work <laughs> like not not now not Drink, yet <laughs> drinking 101 if you start drinking uh sitting down and you stand up uh it's different <laughs> it's a different thing because <laughs> <laughs> it, it changes your equilibrium changes like oh fuck okay we're standing and walking now i'm actually gonna pull that scene up uh while we're talking i'm just gonna take a look at it uh oh, evaluate I it I, I think I was uh, I was writing something down um, mm. before. Yeah, I was writing something down when that happened, so I didn't catch that drunk acting bit. It's only a couple seconds, but it I thought it was kind of cute, kind of funny. Um, but yeah, during the scene, um, Andy calls Hank. Um, basically, he's trying to make sure that like we have alibis, right? 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh. Again, the the body language here and the exchange between the two of them. So Andy is standing over Hank, like menacingly, to be honest, um, while Hank is seated in a booth at the bar. Confirmed, it's and a sofa bed. It is a sofa bed. It is a sofa shit. bed. Um, wow. And Andy at one point like grips him firmly on the shoulder, and there's this this beat that passes. That's like, if I was if I was Hank in this moment, it's like, is he, am I about to get hit? because he takes a second and he's like i think we're okay and it's like you had to think about that (laughs) it's like you took a second brother um and hank is just kind of wussing out here he's like i don't think i can get through this and andy is just not having it um and i think the scene kind of ends here with andy exclaiming that like if he had to take somebody out, would why couldn't it have been him? As in, why if somebody had to get shot and die, why couldn't it have been our dad instead of our mom? Right. Like, I don't blame him like, for thinking that. It, I mean, Aunt May is Aunt May. It's it's that supposed it to be Uncle Ben, man. It's, Aunt May's supposed to be around forever. You know how sweet she was too. Like, she's like, oh, your father's just in a mood right now. She was probably so sweet. Oh man, these two shit heels. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I can't, I can't picture Rosemary Harris having a single bitter bone bitch in bone her in her body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Hank goes home, and uh, before that scene concludes, one thing that his brother, his older, smarter brother, 
asks him is like you did you did clean up the car right yeah before you returned it you cleared out the car you didn't leave anything in it did you and hank's like oh yeah of course then by the time hank gets home and it Am I remembering right that he comes home with like a six pack or something yes. in his hand? Yes, it's the most adorable six pack. There's something about it's it's Mode, uh, Modelo Negra. Uh, it's a really good beer, but he is like this. If you just think about the situation that they're in, and he still has no money, yet he's spending it on a six pack of beer. I'm like Jesus, yeah. dude. My God. Yeah. 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 It's the it's very it's it's very nice like this when it, this is when it hit home like my god he's a fucking loser this is bad um at first i i was trying to feel sorry for him but by this point it's like no he's just an idiot no he's but just a loser we're kind of underselling how tense this scene is between him and uh like hank and andy like andy is like he is on the verge of murdering some like he's there's there's one there's a scene later where he's shaking with rage and like oh that's good like I can feel it I can feel it he is furious um, but yeah he he's like everything there's like did you leave anything in the car these are the two questions that I put a pin in he's like no one saw you at his house and he's like no 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 one saw me at his house did you leave anything in the car and he's like no it was all good it was clean and yeah and he's just like I think we're good. Um, yeah, and then he gets a phone call. He's like checking his messages, and he's like, "Yeah, it seems like he left some personal items at the uh, in your rental car." And he's like, "Fuck!" Like, like, god damn it! So he calls back, and the place is closed. I'm talking. I don't think this place has been open for three minutes. And he walks in the next morning to uh, to get the personal effects, and he he is not good at like like. So uh, Andy is good at like hiding his emotions or like what his motive is behind whatever he's talking about. Hank is oblivious. He's like, uh, like yeah, yeah, I need. He's like just bumbling and nervous and jittery the whole time. I'm like, dude, you have got to like bring it down a little bit. Like this is ridiculous. You look like a crazy person. Yeah, he's utterly transparent when it comes to displaying his nervousness and his indecision. And uh, the way this the sequence is edited and 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 choreographed with the he walks in and and the guy at the desk is on the phone when he walks in and of course like a fucking idiot he tries to like get the guy's attention while he's on the phone which is pissing me off while i'm watching it yeah yeah it's irritating me but like um i know you haven't seen it yet but it reminded me of uncut gems which Mm. just so happens to be another you know diamond like diamond thievery kind of movie that Mm. happens to be in new york and happens to be you know like have I think, I think the Safdie brothers are Jewish. I know Sid Lumet is, no. um, but it definitely touches on that kind of stuff. But um, the the way this is edited and choreographed kind of reminded me of that, where there's like overlapping dialogue and a lot of ambient noise that's really frustrating and uh, tense. Because <laughs> like, even when Hank gets this guy's attention, the phone starts ringing mid conversation, and he gets cut off, and he just kind of has to leave without. Like, with his tail between his legs. Like, he doesn't yeah. get anything done. Um, cut to the bar, because, of course, that's where Hank wants to go. And, Kyle, I'm going to leave. I'm gonna open the floor up to you, because uh, a certain someone makes his appearance in this film, and it's very important to you. I had no clue he was in this movie the first time I watched it, so when I saw him walk into the bar, I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> this is really not good at all. Uh, <laughs> no matter what he's there for, this is not good. 
So in walks six foot four Michael Shannon, uh, looking like a, oh, uh, he's got the wife beater with like a button down shit bag. That's a special kind of shit bag. That's an unemployed shit bag. Uh, <laughs> that's. He's just like, I'm unemployed because I have other ways of obtaining income, and none of them are legal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he comes into the bar with uh, um, the Bobby's wife, uh, and she's fucking mad. And they're like, why don't we go sit down over here? You're, you're this guy, right? Yeah. Um, basically, and I don't think they're wrong in this situation, and why he didn't think of this is pretty silly. He's also a dipshit. Um, he's like, yeah, you remember that dude that you had robbed, like that got shot in the robbery? Yeah, well, that's that's my my sister's, you know, husband, and he was paying the fucking bills, and uh, she one was like, listen, he like he has her step out. He's like, just go, go in the other room, like just go step aside. He's like, listen, she wants me to kill you. I don't want to do that. I just want you to, you know, pay pay your dues here, pay her some money. And uh, he's just like, oh, let me just make it ten grand. And uh, I was like, damn. I mean, like, that's fair. I'm like, okay, if that's for the- a, for a, the life of a human being, ten thousand dollars, that ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just gonna he's extorting him, blackmailing him for uh for ten grand. Like that's reasonable. And he's such a bitch. Uh, he's just like, well, you go ahead. And he's like, I don't want to involve the cops, but he's like, but if I have to, I will. Which, I don't think he was going to. Um, Absolutely not. Yeah, no. You have... Yeah, He does not have an upper hand here. He's not going to tell you. All he has is physical intimidation, uh, which he's fucking terrifying. And, like, he... like Ethan Hawke's a grown-ass man. Like, Michael Shannon is still, like, towering over him. Like, he's he's pretty scary. Uh, he's just like, why don't you give me your, he's like, you got a license? And he's like, yeah. He's like, why don't you give it to me? Just give me your whole fucking wallet. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to hold on to this until you, uh, until you get the money. And you're like, now this is a fucking situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be straight with you, Chico. Do you, <laughs> Can mind, I call- do you mind if I call you Chico? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to call you that anyway. No. Uh, I love, I love the way he, he questions him about the robbery because he's like trying to, skirt around using words like robbery and things like that and so he's like yeah like the wife is like hysterical and she's like hey you're supposed it was a call about work like you showed up and you were going to do work bobby was referring to it as work and michael shan just kind of cuts her off he's like involved getting him shot and killed (laughs) but not you getting shot and killed (laughs) yeah yeah it's really i like the way he words it yeah it's a it's a beautiful performance i also liked his entrance where he he does a move that I wish I could do because I can't snap. But um, to get Hank's attention, he snaps like in front of his eyeballs. Like, yeah. At the bridge of his nose. I asked you a fucking question. <laughs> you, If somebody does that to you, you're like, I'm either going to fuck this person up or I need to walk away because they're going to kill me. <laughs> Those are the only two options you have if somebody snaps in front of your face. I'm like, nine times out of ten, it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away now because you mean business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> If, some, if you're in another situation where they snap in front of your face and like, can I take care of this myself? I think I can take care of this myself. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever do that. Um, uh, but him, he's just like, listen, Bobby was a piece of shit. I know it. You know it. I don't give a fuck about the guy. <laughs> and I appreciated that. I'm like, okay, he understands. But he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, you're going to give me money. So yeah, we, um, we cut over again. Uh, now we're getting back to, I think we're, 
This is where we find out that it was Hank that called Gina while she was in the kitchen. It's kind of a weird transition. Yeah, so we go from the bar and Michael Shannon harassing Hank um, to Hank going to his wife to ask for money. And she's not going to help him because he already is like $2,000 in the hole with her. Um, And then Hank, at one point, I guess that evening, he gets woken up by the sound of a car alarm. And he uh, has a moment where he opens his medicine cabinet and it looks like he considers killing himself. He should. At this point, absolutely. They should have killed themselves. He should have killed himself like when he found out his mom was in a a coma. I'm like, at that point, I'm like, you're done. Due to his actions. (laughs) Yeah. I'd cash out at that point, like, done. Yeah, um, so he goes for his pills, and he he has a look about him. He pours out the pills into his palm, but then he puts them back, because he's Why? Hanging, he's, Why he's, would he put them back? Kind of bitch. Your kid doesn't I, like you. She's better off without you. Uh, yeah. Well, by the, by the end of this movie, he does say he's ready, but he doesn't get his wish, so... <laughs> um, but yeah, we cut back to the funeral, and again, from a different angle, we, we see the funeral parlor and everybody giving their condolences. Hank has his awkward line about this, I'm, I'm not ready for this scene, or I'm not good for this scene, or something. And he dips out, and we get to see that uh, he just goes around back and uh, hides behind a tree like a child, pulls out his cell phone, and it just so happens that the phone call that Gina got... Um, in, you gonna, in his dad's house, by the way. Were you going to were you going to have sex with your brother's wife on the day of your mother's funeral? Yes, that's what wow. he wanted. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, so she gets a call from Hank, and she's like, "Not now." <laughs> you remember that <laughs> funeral that we were at? <laughs> I'm still kind of there. <laughs> Xnay on the Ukfe. <laughs> In text form, <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, he goes back to the rental service, and we get this we get this moment where I thought I thought something was going to explode here. I thought something really awful was about to happen, but it ends up being like a non-issue. So he's there again to retrieve the stuff from the rental car, mm. and uh, the guy asks to see his driver's license, which he handed over to Michael Shannon. Um, and there's like a little bit of a hesitation, and at first I thought this was going to be like Hank having a freak out or something but no he just shows the guy his credit card instead and he gets yeah. what he asked for it's like oh that was anticlimactic yeah okay. um but yeah uh, he goes back to the downtown apartment where i'm guessing he's hoping gina shows up or something yeah. <laughs> um and then uh, he gets a call from andy and he like crumples onto the floor and he's like oh man this shit's bad <laughs> there's a there's a moment i did like here he he goes up to like walk in and he notices that the the glass where you'd like buzz in like ask to, to buzz in is broken and he looks down there's like glass on the floor and he like kind of looks over his shoulder and in my Put mind it's, in yeah well it like i was like oh in my mind it was like michael shannon came there looking for him and i'm like oh shit like they're they're not they're mean in business um mm-hmm. but yeah he he gets upstairs and this was weird like he just comes in kind of kind of calm like he's just kind of like looking through the apartment and then he picks up the phone and he just like he just shatters like he just breaks down like almost yeah. has a panic attack basically well it i mean it's probably on some level it's probably like repressed feelings or something where it's like he's carrying this emotional weight of of his you know, of the awful thing that he did but he has exactly one person he can talk to about it yeah uh, who just who just so happens to be the person who calls him so it's like his release i guess yeah 
Um, but yeah, uh, smash cut to mom in bed, and uh, Andy is holding vigil over him, so I guess we're in for an Andy episode now. And uh, Andy, this this begins a long string of events where Andy is put under some pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, Andy gets a call from work, and uh, they're a little freaked out because they found some problems, presumably with accounting. Dude, um, there are two terminated people, like two terminated people from your department getting paychecks and now we know why he was completely just out of it at that meeting uh dude this was another layer of like what the fuck were you thinking like i mean in his defense ethan hawk is a dipshit like he is dumb but this is a i think this is a dumber move this is a more dumber move on his part how did you how the fuck did you think you were going to get away with that because he did <laughs> it just takes an audit like it just takes one no, but i mean you and i both know about audits yes <laughs> i know how audits work i'm like it literally takes oh, let's check it out <laughs> they'll find the discrepancies but but there's that lull there's that period where until that happens there's no problem until until there is a problem and this is a guy who takes pride in his like the specter or the illusion of his accomplishments. So yeah. This is a guy who came from working at a jewelry store to, I'm making six figures. But are you really? I don't think Are he you really actually is. doing the work? Are you actually are you actually doing the job? <laughs> like, apparently not. No. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, pizza and coffee with dad? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know I, I don't know what etiquette post-funeral for like a, a wife or a, or a mother is, but pizza pizza the morning after <laughs> that so i i worked at mcdonald's when i was a teenager for a little bit well, it was like the worst job i've ever had um but old people will come in get a cheeseburger coffee hamburger and coffee and i was like they're getting a hot fucking coffee in it in like in the summertime with a cheeseburger i'm like this is the craziest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> Is anybody else seeing this? <laughs> and then I saw, and then I saw them getting coffee and pizza. I'm like, nope, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because I'm like, at least with the coffee and burger, I'm like, okay. I mean, you can make a burger taste pretty neutral if you take off the toppings and stuff like that and just make it meat and cheese and bread. I'm like, it's pretty neutral, and I could see it okay with coffee. Fine, pizza, no. <laughs> Pizza always has flavor, and you're gonna have a black cup of coffee with pizza. that's that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, see, uh, the reason I wanted to bring attention to this, folks, is that uh, Kyle happens to be a connoisseur of both of these things. Yes, and, and yeah, seeing them combined is probably very troubling. And yeah, obviously it is. <laughs> I like a good uh, Zeke's um, kitchen sink. It pairs really well with. Uh, Ooh, a nice Sumatra, if you can find it, yes. Uh, <laughs> piping hot, both of them. Oh, I had a Farachi the other day. Ooh. It was good times. Farachi. Good times. Good, did good you, recommend. Did you, uh, right? And you live right there. How the fuck are you not fat as shit right now, dude? <laughs> <laughs> right. If you don't know, Trevor is in walking distance to the best pizza place in Seattle. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got to check it out sometime. I'm like, what the fuck? You've lived in the You've been living there for years. three years. <laughs> you haven't been there. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, oh, I'm so bad. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Coffee. I'm sorry. Let me let me take the back. He lives next to the best coffee shop in Seattle and the best pizza place in Seattle. God, 
If I ever get to move back to Seattle, I'm moving to Greenwood or Finney. Somewhere, I'm Greenwood or Finney bound. Everybody wants to live in Capitol Hill. I'm like, guys, that's not where it's at. Lived here my whole life. Yeah. Hasn't treated me wrong yet. No. Um, until that apartment complex across the street gets finished. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, pizza and coffee with dad. Uh, Andy is like trying to make like, I noticed that a lot of his conversations with his dad are very business oriented. Yeah. It's, it's about, it's about like accomplishing tasks and like moving things forward. It's, it has nothing to do with emotions or interpersonal relations. It's strictly about keeping things moving. Yeah. I wouldn't so, talk like, to all this he thing. wants to talk, all he wants to talk to his dad about is like, so are, are you going to open the store tomorrow? I, I can, I can do it for you like a couple hours, you know? And Dad's just like he. I think he storms out of the room and he's just like, "You should burn the place." Yeah, <laughs> he like, does not give a fuck. But yeah. also, like, you want to talk to somebody in this kind of position, but the, it's a, he doesn't communicate at all. So, like, well, this is the best you can do. They're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, these are two. These are two human beings that are not meant to share feelings. <laughs> like, well, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman might have had an opportunity, but the father was just not. He even mentions it later. Um, and yeah, and it doesn't seem like they're going to talk about sports, especially not at a time like this. And they don't seem like a sport family. Uh, maybe no. maybe they go to a Mets game every once in a while, but um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Andy, like cut to Andy, um, trying to force his way into Sasha's apartment um, without an appointment. Yes. Uh, he gets refused at the door, and Sasha tells him, you come back in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to see Andy stand outside smoking on the corner for, I guess, an hour. Yeah, it's <laughs> heavily. Like, he's really sucking it down, too. Yeah, and he heads right back in, and uh, he, he gets his shot of heroin, and he has this moment where he again so make an appointment next time tonic water yeah yeah sasha was 100 percent right it's like maybe you should get a therapist <laughs> <laughs> um and philip seymour hoffman shares with him uh, my mom's dying and then sasha's response kyle was what bummer <laughs> it's just so dead bummer <laughs> next time Could make an appointment not give a fuck less yeah zero fucks given but yeah i cut back to andy uh standing over hank at the bar so this is uh this is a scene we've seen before um but this is actually the tail end of the conversation so we get to see the completion of it and uh andy tells him i should fucking kill you (laughs) yeah um and he uses a phrase here that um the the wording of it was kind of strange to me how are how are you going to fix it so your shit don't fall on my shoes? Basically, he's telling Hank, I'm guessing, like... This is your fuck you, up. Yeah, you fucked up, and I'm paying a price for it. How do we How do we make me pay less of a price for it? Cut to the funeral. Yeah. Um, so, didn't work out. Um, and then we get the dialogue scene between father and son post-funeral. And I really like this scene. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah, there's... Uh, very intense it's yeah it's it's done really well uh, albert finney kind of just moses around the picnic table where philip C, uh where um andy is sitting and he's not looking at him at all like they're looking in completely different directions both looking down and yeah. we get what i assume most people who've had who have lived with a parent like this before uh have always wanted to hear from that parent was like the apology and mm-hmm. it's 
it's as it's as sincere and genuine as this man can like this character can do and it feels real and uh philip seymour hoffman's response like andy's response he's just like i wasn't the like i'm sorry i wasn't the father you needed i wasn't i'm not gonna say i was emotionally available i didn't give you what you needed like that and i'm sorry i probably should have been there but i wasn't and there's nothing i can do about that now and philip seymour hoffman's like i'm sorry i couldn't be the son you wanted me to be his is like like you you'll explain like we'll figure out why he's so upset with this uh in a minute which is possibly the most intense scene in the film i think Um, so yeah um he just kind of has like a snarky like back with his dad and i don't know what he says to him here exactly i I wrote it down he says i'm sorry i wasn't able to be the son you wanted and his dad responds with like you you tried your best like he's not condemning of him he's yeah but he's also not like patting him on the shoulder or anything like you did better than you think you did he's like no you're a fuck up (laughs) but then like in response to that uh andy kind of gets venomous with him like very snippy and awful and he seems basically he brings up hank and says like he was more of a fuck up than i ever was but he's you you still seem to love him unlike me um and his dad says like he's a baby (laughs) it's basically like reasoning that's like he needed it more than you than it seemed like you did so we we coddled him both both me and your your mom um but yeah it's 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 apparent that andy feels that he was like he got the shaft in terms of like affection and whatnot growing up and uh he i think the conversation ends with um are you sure i'm your son because mm-hmm. he 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 says he feels like he was an outsider like it, it felt like a it felt like everyone else was in on something he wasn't so he was like kept to the periphery or something and he says you sure i'm not your are you sure i'm your son and then uh, his dad slaps him yeah and immediately he just like well let's pack it up i'm out let's of here <laughs> conversation over and so he pa- he packs up the car with gina um, who's trying to ask for a divorce while they're in the car after she's like mother. putting up one finger going uh, <laughs> hey can we can we do hey uh it's really it, it's really annoying like i'm like would you just just stop whatever you need to say to him just wait until later and then andy like he starts crying which is always yeah like like we said like philip seymour hoffman's got a huge head so we're like you're seeing this 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 scene like <laughs> We're just focusing on his face. He has he has a very broad canvas to work with. Yes, it's a very broad canvas. Um, and he just he has. She's like, maybe we should pull over because he's kind of like babbling a little bit, like just. It's like, oh my dad! Oh my god, my dad! Yeah, he he just he's like he just melts down. He's like, no no no, he doesn't get to do that. He doesn't just get to after all this time try to apologize, and it's apparent is like this is what he needed his whole life and now when it doesn't even matter to him anymore he's already made up his mind he hates this man he like i don't care anymore like no you don't get to do that now you needed to do this before i completely wanted to fuck like before i wanted to fuck you over basically not even fuck you over just take advantage of you and it's it's fucking rough i mean because i think the reality's setting in he's like fuck i got my mom killed because i hate my fucking dad and he just apologized for me hating him and it's a it's it's intense like it is well done and this is what it, made me this was the scene i was like trevor needs to see this this he needs to it's see this pretty movie. incredible you get to see like you get to see his value as an actor like in every sense where it's just like he's so capable of 
of conveying emotion and and just inhabiting a character and what what makes it really work is that he's communicating so many emotions at once where like you said he's he's legitimately angry but he's also grief stricken because Mm -hmm. he he's smart enough and honest enough with himself to understand that it's like he he really did just get exactly what he's always wanted but he's he's upset about it Mm -hmm. because because it's just it's just not the right time and it's just not fair that that, it's just not fair in fact i think that's exactly what it's not fair yeah Um, yeah I was talking to Steph about this. I'm like, how do people, like, he does it really well in this movie. Like, he channels anger. Like, he must have, a, like, a set of lungs on him because he can really raise his voice. But, like, he gets to a place, like, it seems like out of nowhere where he is in a rage. And this is one of those scenes I'm like, he's really good at it. And I think it comes from just having a volatility as a person that, you're you're able to tap into things that other people maybe shy away from and Mm -hmm. you know having a lust or appetite for life especially like drugs and stuff sometimes it sometimes that allows you to push through certain barriers that you know are taboo i think he's i think the real philip seymour hoffman had his own issues and oh yeah and this seems like one of those moments where it we might have like stumbled onto like uh what was it um uh, Martin Sheen, like in Apocalypse Now, where he was just drunk in that room, and they're like, just it was kind of like an art, almost like an art film kind of thing. It was like, just explore the room, just be in the room. And this felt like it was like kind of towing that line between reality and and, and a performance. Um, there was a will. Uh, did you ever see that clip? I'm sure you've seen it of a Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where Will is. Uh, uh, he's talking about his dad in the show. Like his his father was is estranged. He has an estranged father in the show, and he's like, "Why didn't he want me? Why didn't he want to be around me?" And in real life, Will Smith's father had abandoned him, and he broke down like while doing the scene for the show. And mm. Uncle Phil, the guy who played Uncle Phil, was like broke character and like gave him a hug during the scene. And it's like, oh man, that's like a little tearjerker moment. Um, it just kind of felt like that kind of scene here, where he was like, it, "This was real." for me I think so okay. I think I think there was probably a cool down period after the camera stopped rolling <laughs> for yeah. sure um, some, a, a pairing that I would have loved to have seen Philip Seymour Hoffman opposite Brad Dourif in their primes it would be, be the angriest loudest room ever <laughs> yeah just when it comes to expressions of anger Brad Dourif is kind of up there I was I was gonna say Al Pacino and uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, but they were in uh, oh Scent of a Woman together, I believe. I believe oh, really? uh, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is the uh, the shitbag um, the shitbag pupil. Wow, oh, I, ha- I haven't seen that one. I saw it when I was very very. I think it's Chris O'Donnell, Al Pacino. Um, I think it's Scent of a Woman. Well, it's funny because I used to say "hua" all the time when Ooh-ah. I was young. Yeah, and, like yeah. I think one of my teachers like had to like ask my parents about that or something. He's like, "Did you let him watch that?" <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't know where I got it from, but I was really young and I used to say it all the time. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman was in uh, *Scent of a Woman* with Chris O'Donnell and Al Pacino. Oh wow! Um, Martin Brest. Yeah. Following that explosion in the car, um, uh, we fade to black, and uh, we cut to 
Andy's home and he's with Gina and he takes off while she's like eating yogurt or something. <laughs> and uh, he says, I got stuff to do. And she makes like a limp, like the limpest of illusions to like leaving him. And he takes it as just like a non-factor. He's just like, you got some place to be. You got some place to be. She's like, she, she said it like, I might not be here when you get back. And he took it as like, oh, she's going somewhere. But she's saying like, no, I'm going to leave you, dude. But on, honestly, I could I can relate to how he reacted because it's it's so wimpy. Like it, it doesn't feel like she's actually saying that. It's like, yeah. F- phrasing it's important <laughs> be careful we're married <laughs> uh yeah but, he yeah he has to go he has to go buzz his brother <laughs> uh it doesn't work out nobody answers and this is at the downtown apartment and we get to see how the glass on that uh buzzer got smashed and it was philip seymour hoffman giving it a good old forearm um and then he comes home and he washes his face and we get this long take where uh, gina's sitting in the corner like in the foreground and we can see that she has some bags packed. And uh, she tells him, oh, your boss called. He sounded pretty freaked out. <laughs> um, and then he notices that she has the bags packed. And then uh, she tries to explain why she's leaving him. And it's all just like, what? She has no, yeah, it doesn't make it, like, you're right. She has no emotional intelligence either. Like, she doesn't, like, she's like, I need you to, like, say things. Like, it we don't even know for sure exactly why she's leaving him or why she was with him in the first place. Um, but yeah, I guess it's because he doesn't communicate any kind of like, she's like, you don't tell me anything. Like you tell me nothing whatsoever. I have no idea what's happening with you and your like work life emotionally, what's going on. And he's great in the scene. Cause he is just like dead eyed, just nothing. Nothing's going on back there. Like he could not care less that this is happening right now. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've been there where it's like you're in an there are other more important things going on to the extent that like whatever this problem is I yeah. whatever <laughs> it, it, like if you were to remove like all the elements from the pro like all problems leading up to this yeah he might actually have a conversation here but he's like there are, we have five balls in the air. I have two hands, and you're trying to throw another one in here. I'm like, I don't even have time to think about catching that one. Um, yeah, I mean, even even if he wasn't involved with his mother's death, his mother just died. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's probably at the forefront of his mind. And yeah, she makes some sort of allusion to like feeling alienated, like she feels like she's being left out of his life or something that's somehow important to her. Um, I did like the blocking here, where when she gets up to head to the door. Um, she deliberately takes the long way mm-hmm. to the door so she doesn't have to pass near him. And she stops at the door and she turns around like she's trying, like she comes across as like a child, like throwing mm-hmm. a tantrum, but they don't exactly know why. They just want something, but again, they don't know what, what that is or why. I took it as she, she's like having trouble with the bags too. Like, I'm not even sure she was intending to leave at that moment. Like she's like, I, I don't mean, think she was because she like the dialogue that goes back and forth here is like, she stops at the door, not just because she feels like she needs to like hurt him or something to, I guess, in exchange for the hurt that she feels. Cause she like tries to like take him down a peg by like saying, I'm sleeping with your brother. And he's like, Okay. Okay. Um, but then the the other shoe drops in the form of her, like, still standing in the door. She hasn't left yet because he has to ask her, how do you intend to, where are you going? How do you intend to get there? 
and these are all these are all questions she hasn't asked herself she so she, she's so she's like i'm going to my mom she's like how are you gonna get there she's like, i'm gonna take a cab and he's like with what money and she's like uh money that you should give me because you're a decent guy and he's like okay here you go <laughs> she's literally being a child in this scene because she turns and she's just like what why won't you she's wanting him to be like oh i want you to stay baby and he's not doing it and he's just like fine and she like she does like almost like a fist thing where she's like oh you're so frustrating like she just no, like she, she's, she I, actually verbalizes like like why can't you be angry like, yeah she's like because because those feelings are relegated to other parts of my mind right now <laughs> like i'm i'm experiencing all of those feelings just yeah. not in relation to you she's like and i'm um, fucking yeah, your like dumbass the, brother <laughs> But I like again calling back to the blocking when I, he does offer her some money for the cab. Um, this time she just walks directly to him, so in, instead of going the long way, it just kind of shows how messed up in the head she is. Like she just has no clue what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. I think she took the long way. Cause she was giving him an opportunity to be like, no, don't, don't. Like also, those bags looked like she was having some issues. She <laughs> could not lift those bags. No. Yeah, um, but yeah, he goes into the bedroom after she leaves, and he strips the bed, and he kind of like smashes up the apartment this is, a little bit. This is a strange tantrum. Um, it this this scene was really this I I really like this. He he goes and yeah he strips the bed, he just he knocks over the lamp, and he's doing none of this quickly. It's just he's slowly pushing the lamp over. He picks up a plant and he just like tosses it, and you hear it break. And he just kind of like just saunters over to the to the there's like a thing of rocks on the coffee table, and he just slowly pours it out onto the table, and I'm like that's a weird tantrum. Like this is something that, like if you were really angry, these are all things you're like, oh, rip up the sheets, and knock that over, and throw this, and like, it's really strange. I, it's, I, it's kind of meditative in some ways. Yeah. Um. Also the timing of when she leaves he gets a call on his phone um and the voice message plays back with both of their voices on it i was like it's probably not what he wants to hear right now but yeah it it is weird it's kind of lackadaisical it's it brought to mind uh the the room the tommy Wiseau movie um when he throws his tantrum and turns over the apartment because he's like his body language in that tantrum is just kind of like ah (laughs) It's, it's pretty great although he does put some muscle behind throwing that TV out the window. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure the call that he got before he yanked the phone out of the wall was uh, his dad um, in traffic. Um, and then we get, sure enough, we get to see Albert Finney in traffic on a cell phone trying to call someone. And like I said, I'm pretty sure he was trying to call Andy. Um, and then we get another on-screen title one week after the robbery. And we get to see Albert Finney retrieve a revolver and uh, go pay a visit to our local neighborhood creepy German man. Um, and he questions him about the robbery, and it takes a little bit of prodding, but on his way out, the guy stops him and uh, basically confesses that it's like, yeah, I, I know who, who was involved with the robbery. I have their business card right here. And, uh, and he, he fishes out Andy's card. Oh, he even says, he's like, he's like, you think you know people really well. He's like, I know, I knew him as soon as he walked in. I knew he was your son. I act like I didn't know him. And he's like, yeah. And he just hands him his card. And that's like, 
it all just hits Albert Finney. Just like he, like he, like I think he literally like bam hits the, hits the wall and like slides down. Like my god, um, yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is where he's just like tick 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 tick. All right, we got to take care of this shit. And this leads into my favorite sequence of the film. Like this is this is pretty fun. Um, yeah, so he gets his passport and he just pulls out a bag and he just throws a bunch of clothes on the uh, clothes on the bed. And like, all right, yes, this is a smart move. Leave the fucking country. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a good idea. Um, but uh, this during this whole sequence, everything that's happening that we're going to talk about, Albert Finney uh, Charles is following him the entire time, and it made me think: it's no wonder people that live in Manhattan don't have a driver's license. Driving in New York, driving in Manhattan, looks like a fucking nightmare. I don't under like driving in Seattle is one thing, but trying to figure that shit out, uh uh-uh. uh. No, I mean I if I can help it, I don't drive in downtown Seattle. New York, fuck that. No, yeah. Don't even don't. want to deal with that. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> not even gonna um, deal with to, that. To quote the Seinfeld, this town would eat you alive. George. <laughs> 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 I forgot about that. No, George, you shouldn't live here. This town would eat you alive. <laughs> when he was posing as a tourist from only, Kentucky. I think. Only if you knew how bad it was chewing him up. <laughs> Every day. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's still a shitstorm at work. And uh, I love this. Uh, uh, Andy gets in there, gets into the office and is getting into the petty cash. And his uh, assistant's just like, hey, Mr. Mr. Belvedere's looking for you. He's looking for you right now. And he's like, would you fuck up? Like, like, he just wants to be like, just, like, just shut the fuck up, all right? I'm dealing with something right now. But he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll be there in a minute or whatever. He's like, I got to go deal with my mom or something like that. I got to go help my brother. And yeah. um, she's like, I'm going to tell him you were here. But he just takes the rest of the petty cash. Um, and then Hank and Andy meet up. This Did you yeah. notice this was handheld, this conversation that they had? Uh, yeah, it yeah. looked it. Yeah. Um, it's... It's not, it's not intrusive in any way. Like it doesn't take away from the scene, um, and it actually adds to the tension because mm-hmm. the two of them, I think it's telling that they're both seated opposite each other, and this is an instance where they're both kind of on the level with one another, but they're sitting very far apart from each mm-hmm. other. Um, it's it's a very tense, awkward sequence, but um, Hank explains the situation with Mr. Michael Shannon. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because if he had if he had just mentioned that I have a problem, this person is hounding me for money. They've threatened my life. Oh, by the way, it's Michael Shannon. Like I'm pretty sure Philip Seymour Hoffman just would have got up and left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like no plan. Just like nope, not dealing with that. <laughs> so well, he even says here he's just like he wants ten grand, but I know it's not going to stop that because he's just going to be like he's going to want ten grand again. And he's like that's the smartest fucking thing you've ever said. And he's like yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. I didn't even piece that together when I was watching him. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's why it was such a low amount. He's like, yeah, because he's gonna ask for ten grand again. Yeah, yeah, that's a typical bully. Yeah, you know, give it, give an inch to take a mile. Um, but uh, Andy, Andy like makes it known that he has some sort of plan. I guess um, he makes it clear that he's like, yeah, we're gonna give him the money. We're gonna give him the money. Um, and then he actually encourages Hank to. Uh, to call a meeting basically like call call, call chris, chris. Uh, yeah. yeah call chris bobby's bobby's wife and uh have her get michael shannon and uh we'll meet him follow my place. lead yeah yeah and uh, yeah follow my lead we'll get through this and uh this we is we go to visit 
this is where I had my Joker, and here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned it before. This this is where the movie feels like the conclusion of Goodfellas. Like mm-hmm. the things are ramping up, and like the score is it's just like ever present during the sequence and this is just an endless series of cab rides um, where our two brothers go on this adventure and all the while dad is pursuing them you know like just a, just a few inches behind them um watching the chaos unfold um so first stop on the trip is uh we go to visit sasha mm-hmm. um, so we get that familiar angle of the interior of the apartment and sasha answers the door with pistol in hand and you can hear like scratching and like pounding at the door and as soon as the latch is undone door busts open and we overpower sasha and easily t- take him down on, i mean he's a skinny little a whip small it. dog could overpower sasha <laughs> yes <laughs> a, a, a light breeze yeah <laughs> but, um a, but yeah, a good uh, thought really could just knock him down <laughs> Yeah, a, a single feeling of positivity, <laughs> a single gen- expression of like genuine feeling. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is a full grand, like a full grown adult, heavier than him. Like, there's no well, fight. Just, just from the shoulders up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just from the head. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Andy tackles him and takes the pistol out of his hand and bludgeons him with mm-hmm. this pistol in the fucking face. This is pretty brutal. Yeah. He get he gets in three like I don't know if Philip Seymour Hoffman had a rough childhood or what, but he knows how to throw a punch. How <laughs> was how was Matt Damon still standing after uh the three pistol whips that Leonardo DiCaprio gives him on that rooftop? He goes, Shut the fuck up. I'm like, those were some fucking hits. Well th- those are like those are like uh un- like I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, but th- those are shots to make you unpretty. Those are not shots to put you to sleep. Those are shots to fuck up your face. That was a pistol three times in the nose. That was just right. The fuck I know, but here. like he's not like punching through his head. He's like stopping at the nose just so he can smash his fucking <sighs> face in. God, that so would hurt it's, so bad. It's like it's like it's not. He's not trying to knock him out. He's just trying to unpretty him. Yeah. <laughs> it works. But no, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, on the other hand, is trying to cave in this kid's face. No kidding. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he he slouches down the corner. He's he's down. Um, and then we go further into the apartment, and there is a client on the bed. He is passed out, shirtless. He's just kind of laying down. He's blissfully unaware of what's going on. And in a shocking turn of events, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Andy, uh, he picks up a pillow, and he holds it up in front of himself, and he he shoots this guy in the head through the pillow to you know muffle the the report. Um, his face when he whenever he shoots people through this pillow. Um, you can tell he's it's like you can see him like channeling something where he's just like Argh! like he's he's he knows what he's doing is wrong but he's still doing it i think he's also like pulling the pillow like really really close to the barrel just like fuck like you but, know when you're about, yeah. you know when you're like trying to like move pots and pans when everybody else is sleeping in the house and you're trying not to make any noise it's kind of like that where you're just like gotta be careful pop <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it's like when you have to do a really tricky jump in Mario, and your butt clenches. You're like, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wasn't close enough to the edge, and I'm dead. That was a whole yeah. waste of thirty minutes. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. It's just a game. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Fuck! Fuck! Don't shit. fucking touch me! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he shoots this gentleman in the head, this total stranger, and uh, down the hall, 
Sasha has recovered and has picked up a kitchen knife and looks very like worse for wear. I love how slow like this sequence is here. Like he like he just kind of walks in and shoots him, and then they're like, "What the fuck's that noise?" And then like move the door, and like <laughs> Sasha's there with a knife, kind of like. Like, yeah, he like, doesn't look threatening at all. No, he, just kind of looks. He looks like he's about to pass out. He's covered. Looks like he's blood. about to get shot in the chest. Is what he looks like. Yeah, and sure enough, he does again yeah. through the pillow. Um, and this this progresses to uh, Andy sh- like shouting They're loud screaming noises, screaming at each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. To to quote Anchorman, loud noises. Loud noises. <laughs> um, Andy is just shouting at Hank, and they they. Open up the safe where we said we we had seen previously. That's where Sasha keeps all of his money and stuff, and drugs. And they put it in like a pillowcase essentially. And they run they take out the of heroin there, but, too, which is beyond stupid. I'm like, don't take the heroin. Leave the heroin. I don't think there's a whole lot of thinking going on at this point. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman has a good he has a good yell of uh, "Did you touch anything?" to his brother, who is just. He is just a stumble bumble. He has no words. He is, his brain is not in this. But I like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I think he did this in Mission Impossible Three. Um, you would know this better than me because you've seen more of his movies. But he does. I call it the Randy Savage hands, where it's like, it's like, he does like he he puts his index finger on top of his thumb. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When he gets really heated and he's trying to tell a dumb person something really yes. critical. <laughs> The blessing, yes, where he's yeah. <laughs> yes, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure when when he was yelling at Tom Cruise about his his wife, <laughs> do you think I'm joking or yeah. something like that? Um, anyway, he is he's very good at yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the the lame attempt to like clean up the mess. Yeah, the right. <laughs> I was like, why even fucking bother? your DNA's on that pillow? Uh, you've dropped yeah. hair for sure. Uh, yeah. Come on. But next stop on our uh, endless parade of taxi cab rides is a college apartment. So we go to Chris's place. Mm-hmm. And Michael Shannon is eating pizza, pizza in pie. the Lazy Boy. He's having a pizza pie. Yeah, because he's a piece of shit. He woke up at fucking <laughs> 1 o'clock. This is his, this is his breakfast, basically. <laughs> fucking yeah, he's eating pizza in the Lazy Boy. Yeah. And he's really happy to see our guys because they have money. And like I think they even show it to him. They're like, mm-hmm. how does this make you feel? And he's like... Really good. <laughs> hey, you look angry. I'm gonna call you Groucho. Is that okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, this is. Well, yeah, Kyle. You want to walk us through what happens here because it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I think the baby's crying in the background. Uh, Michael Shannon's just sitting, sitting there, and we we can't. You can, they can't tell, but he's got a gun in the pizza box. Um, and she's like kind of standing behind him. She goes to grab the baby, and um. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, yeah, we're gonna give this ten grand, but he's like, gives him like the give a mouse a cookie kind of thing, and he basically pulls him up and has a gun to his head, and uh, he's like, he's not gonna do it. He's like, oh, you you don't think so? Okay, um, he fucking shoots him in the head, and I was actually kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, he definitely knocked off those other two dudes, but I wasn't ready for Michael Shannon to die. I was uh, I was hoping this was gonna turn when I first watched it. I'm like, I hope this goes the other way. Um, yeah, but uh, he does take care of Michael Shannon, but then he turns the gun on his brother. Yeah, he turns the gun on Hank, and uh, they have a tense standoff here where Andy says, you know I know. And Hank pauses for a second and says, uh, what do you know? 
and <laughs> basically what what he's alluding to is you're you were sleeping with my wife i'm guessing um and he's sincerely looks like he's about to off him and mm-hmm. in fact we do get a close-up of his finger squeezing that trigger but before he can uh chris retrieves the pistol from the pizza box and shoots him in the back and he falls down and hank in the confusion uh picks up the bag of money and chris kind of like loose she's very lucid actually like she's mm-hmm. like just get out oh she's seen leave. people shot before yeah if you're clearly. asking your if you're asking a sibling to kill somebody for you you've seen people die before yeah um so she she's just telling hank to leave she isn't even holding the gun up to him she's just sell, she's just yelling at him to leave and he just like dummies up and starts dumping the money like in handfuls he doesn't like overturn the bag he just like kind of like throws wads of money onto the floor and then he takes off down the stairwell i think he still has some cash in that bag yeah he's still got some money (laughs) fucking loser he's gonna drink it all and fucking yeah he's stuff's like before 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 philip seymour hoffman is shot though hank does he does basically throw his arms up and say like you know if you gotta shoot me i'm ready for it whatever Like, you'd be doing me a favor, I think, is exactly what he says. Um, and then uh, cut to Albert Finney calling out to Ethan Hawke as he runs out of the apartment. And he's, like, trying to call out to his son, his baby boy. He doesn't hear him. Um, the EMTs and the cops arrive, and they take Andy away on a stretcher, which yeah. Albert Finney, <laughs> unfortunately, gets caught in a traffic jam trying yeah. to leave the scene, <laughs> which is kind of comical in some ways. But... Uh, final scene in the movie takes place in the hospital and uh, we get to see Andy in a hospital bed as his dad comes to visit him and uh, there's a dialogue exchange here where Andy's hooked up to he's got like an air tube in his nostrils and um, he, he as soon as he sees his dad standing over him he's like it's, I never meant to hurt her I just needed the money and Albert Finney's face is just like the fucking devil like, like he look, he's just full of piss and vinegar right here it's not like do you remember in there will be blood when uh he wakes up the guy who claims to be his brother and he's just sitting there talking and then he tells that whole spiel about how he stole his brother's identity and you look back at him and his face is completely changed and then he you know shoots him this is albert finney he's just like cleaning the gun off like it looks like he's cleaning a gun oscar it's all right it's it's fine <laughs> just like loading it up no, never mind that <laughs> That's, that's okay. That's not a pistol. That's uh, I have some Pez. It's a Pez dispenser. It's a Pez. <laughs> Won't you rest? I'll give you one when you wake up. And I think that yeah, he, he, the guilt was just killing him. He had to get it off his chest. And I think just saying that put him to sleep, like yeah. just just out done. Um, yeah. yeah. And then this whole sequence here, I don't know how accurate this this whole last part is. I feel like they would be a little bit more attentive as a medical staff also um you were saying that like the depart is a movie based on cell phones a a lot of this is based on there's no fucking cameras anywhere uh they seem to not understand that i'm like yeah you would think that the strip mall would have cameras out front or something strip mall would just see the the rental car you know yeah like they can i'm I'm like you can put all this shit together i think you could put together pretty easily yeah um but the conclusion of the movie is uh after Andy makes his confession, Albert Finney's response is, It's okay, Andy. And it's like, 
his face doesn't tell you that. Like, no. it's not okay. Nothing is okay for any of these characters. Um, and uh, he kind of, like, fiddles with the heart monitor. He turns it off for a second, like, presumably just to, like, test its function, like, see how, how this shit goes down. And uh, he turns it off, and he steps out into the hallway, and he, like, informs the nurse. That it's like, all right, cut out for a second, you know? And then she's like, oh, it does that all the time. Um, <laughs> and so... He gets very methodical here. He he goes and he stands over his son and he takes the electrodes off of Andy's chest and puts them on his own um, and then proceeds to smother Andy with his own pillow. And his his expression here is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's rage and malice on his face. This is yeah. not a father and son anymore. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, then when the deed is done, uh, he calls the nurse and he just kind of like slips out as just like an unassuming old man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the last shot of the movie is him from behind walking down a hallway into like a blinding, like an steadily intensifying blinding light and then snap to black credits. He's going to go find the other one. Yeah, this does <laughs> in like a Coen Brothers movie. And like we mentioned, you mentioned before, I'm like, it even feels like it could have been a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, it, it feels like maybe a script that that started with them or or passed their passed across their desk at some point and they're like yeah not today not today i mean but I this was the same like, year i think this, they write most of their own stuff but this was the same year as no country for old men i think oh really yeah hmm. 2007 it's, it's a dark fucking year <laughs> and there will be blood and there will be blood <laughs> jeez <laughs> this is a good wow. year for movies good year but heavy <laughs> yeah heavy yeah, 2007, same year. That's probably why I got just like, no, 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 no. let Sydney, Sydney, Sydney Lumet do it. He's got it. <laughs> Good move. Good move. If they're like, oh, uh, before the devil knows you're dead or no country for old men. No, they, they, made, they the right, made the right choice. They made the right choice. I'm and, due for and, a rewatch of that. And this this is a perfectly fine film that stands on its own. Um, would, would probably never... Um, be something I picked on my own. So without you, I probably never would have saw this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad I watched it because it's it's every every performance for the most part is stellar. Mm-hmm. Really, really amazing acting, especially Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but yeah, definitely heavy shit. Yeah, um, you gotta you gotta be in the right state of mind to enjoy this. <laughs> this is a Saturday. This is like a Saturday afternoon kind of movie. You need to do have something fun planned for like the rest of the day. Like, hey, you know what? I got nothing to do. I'll watch uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And you're like, whew. All right, I'm going to do something happy now. <laughs> so let's cleanse the palate. <laughs> I'm going to have some coffee and pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, yeah we, got, we got five five weeks in yeah. March. So we got three so we more. Got, we got three more dead people to, to take a look at. <laughs> I um, think we're for sure going to do a Robin Williams film. Okay. I think that that was one we were going to do. Um, and then I think next week we're going to do, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Kirk Douglas. Uh, yeah, it's my pick. So I think I'm going to go with Mr. Kirk Douglas. I'll, I'll withhold what movie we're going to be covering, but you know. So. I'm super excited to watch it. I've been wanting to watch this movie on my own. It's right I'm, up my alley, too. I'm glad, because this movie, I'm actually going to be a little bit hurt if you don't like it. Oh, I'm sure it, I will. It, it's it's weird. Like There's only a few movies I can think of that's like important for me like that other people like it mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's one of them because it was very important to me when i was very young um and i enjoy it to this day um but that being said uh thank you for jo- joining us as we uh c- 
caught up on Philip Seymour Hoffman's filmography. Um, tune in next week as we take a look at uh, Mr. Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, until next time.